Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It's Wednesday, July the 30th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say, Yo. Mr. Bob Ryer, Hello there. and on the line with Stephanie Cook. Hello. All right, guys, we are back from another episode. This past weekend was San Diego Comic-Con 2014, and we're going to be going over... A lot of the news that came out of San Diego Comic-Con. We've all picked some stories. You guys sent us some stories as well on Facebook mm-hmm. and Twitter. Um, we'll be talking about those. Of course, we're doing our books of the week. But before we get to that, San Diego Comic-Con means that uh, we have basically what is amounts to the Oscars of the comic book world. <laughs> the Eisners happened. Um, and uh, we have a, a list of winners. We, they've been anointed the best of the best in the comic book world. Um, Bob... Why don't you uh, why don't you take it because you've you uh, you you were passionate about talking about these today? Sure, we've got four pages of these. Some <laughs> of them are so insanely split up we don't even know. So yeah. how do, if they can't figure out who's who, we can't either. So we're going to ignore those entirely. No, we're not. No, <laughs> let's do it. Best short story was Untitled. Great title. <laughs> Gilbert Hernandez, Love and Rockets, New Stories Number Six from Fantagraphics. Very nice. Which I do believe Ms. Cook has spoken about before. Nope, that was me. No. That was you? That was me. That was you. Okay, sorry. Somebody did. <laughs> Credit where credit's due, Bob. Okay. Uh, <laughs> best single issue or one shot, Hawkeye number 11, Pizza Is My Business. And business is good. That's pretty awesome. Best, the la- one of the last hurrahs probably for that series before yes. it goes off quietly into the night. New issue today. Yeah, new issue today. But it's a Kate issue, <laughs> so we still don't know what happens. No, it's not. It's not? No, that solicitation is wrong. It's oh, the sign, it's the oh, sign language oh, issue. Oh, Hawkeye. <laughs> You're so crazy. Uh, best continuing series, which is one that caused us some consternation for yes. our. Uh, it was Saga by Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples. Surprise. It's good enough for the eyes, or just not good enough for talking comics. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the heck with them. <laughs> Be- mm. Best limited series of the wake Scott Snyder, Sean Murphy. Mm. That might have been one for us, possibly. Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Mm hmm. Best new series, Sex Criminals, Matt yeah. Fraction, Chip Zdarsky, which I think was ours. I think also would have won for us as well, yeah. Best publication for early readers, Itty Bitty Hellboy. Oh, nice. Which, Art Balthazar? <laughs> and Hugs Franco. are going around. Hugs going around. Karen just came home. Literally. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> That's for up to age seven, by the way. Now, I read some of those other Itty Bitty ones. Those were all little Sonya and little mm-hmm. Vampy and whatever. Mm-hmm. Those were all very cute. They should do more of that. Itty Bitty Hellboy, I think it was the first one. Mm-hmm. They put out best publication for kids ages eight to twelve is one of our phases. Adventures of Superhero Girl. Hell yeah! Oh, that's yes. when I was so excited. <laughs> and I'm sure you were for this next one. Best publication for teens age thirteen to seventeen. Battling Boy by Paul Pope. Oh, so awesome! And there's like a 
there's a prequel sequel coming out soon. A prequel sequel? Yeah. Hmm. The pre-sequel. The pre-sequel. Like the Borderlands game. A prequel yeah. to it. Right, right, yeah. I think but, it's called Aurora. I could be uh, wrong. Okay. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I'm either. intrigued right away. Well, it's, so it's when Battling oh, Boy is a little baby, or, or he's an old man, or it's both. Wait, sorry, seventy. Did you, what did you say? It's Aurora West. It's not uh, the story of Battling Boy. I think it's a new character that's like in the universe, kind of thing. Okay. Uh-huh. Same, you know, stuff happening, but from a different person's perspective. Oh, very nice. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm gonna read it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Best humor publication: Vader's Little Princess by Jeffrey Brown. I always see those books, but mm. I never pick them up. They're cute. Maybe best, I should. Best anthology, Dark Horse Presents. Uh, I think it wins Dark every Horse, year. Obviously. Yeah, they win everything. Yeah. There are very few anthologies anymore. It's true, yes. <laughs> uh, there's Womanthology, there was The Witching Hour, and mm. there's another Vertigo Quarterly yeah. coming soon, I believe. Yes, yeah, yeah. I actually just started reading an anthology, too, actually. Uh, I a saw kiwi. you review. Yeah, a kiwi anthology. Not about, about kiwis, the okay. fruit, so much as... People from New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. 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 <laughs> but Faction, I just wrote a review for it. So if you're lacking in anthologies, here's that. Very nice. Best digital web comic? Here's one I don't think I've ever heard of. The Oatmeal the by Oatmeal. Matthew Inman. The Oatmeal is awesome. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It's a really funny uh, <laughs> web comic. Karen's raising her arms. It's in um, celebration, yeah. It's it's oh, Neil or this book? The, this book. She loves okay. this book. Yeah. They have. He has a series of books that are out. Like one of them is like uh, the best way, five ways to punch a dolphin in the face. And there's how to like tell that. if your cat is plotting to kill you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. It's all like, like little like little webtoon like comics and stuff like that. Like usually one full page or or two panel. You know, comics. I think I've seen some of those without knowing yeah. this is where it comes from. It's oh. been you've probably seen them at NYCC uh, yeah. throughout the years. He's always there. Cool. Yeah, funny stuff. Best reality-based work, The Fifth Beetle, the Brian Epstein story. Hey! Which could be coming up soon here on... (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Might be somebody's book of the week. I don't know. You should have done that in Liverpudlian accent. (laughs) What accent? Liverpudlian. Oh, I can't. I've tried doing Jackie's accent on the (laughs) Games podcast. It was a disaster. (laughs) She's from Hastings. That's different altogether. Yeah, it's very different. Uh, Best graphic album new, The Property by Rutu Modan. I don't know what that is. Me neither. Best adaptation from another medium, Richard Stark's Parker Slayground. It's in there one of the in, in Solomon, right? It's, I don't know which one number it is in the series, but those seem to all win awards as well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Best graphic album reprint, Razzle or R S R A S L. I think it's pronounced Razzle. Razzle. I, think. I was going with Jeff Smith. Yeah. Best archival collection project strips, Tarzan the Complete Russ Manning newspaper strips. Best archival collection project comic books. Will Eisner, the Spirit Artist Edition, IDW, that's those gigantic mm-hmm. $150 puppies. Mm-hmm. Best U.S. edition of international material. We didn't have one of these. <laughs> God Damn This War by Jacques Tardy and Jean-Pierre Verney. Very nice. Thank you. Best U.S. edition of international material, Asia. <laughs> the Mysterious Underground Men by Usami Tezuka. I got there right now. I probably mangle picture box. It sounds like an old monster movie. The Mysterious yes. Underground Men. It's from Toho. Return. It's got Mon- it's got, you know, Rodan or something <laughs> in it. Here we go. Here are some of the big individual awards. Best writer Brian K. Vaughan for Saga. Yeah. Best writer artist Jaime Hernandez Love and Rockets New Story number six. Yes. Best penciler inker or penciler inker team. Sean Murphy. Wow. Awake. So he's a team. Yeah. All by or, himself. it's his or, Bob. I know. I'm being Come on. flippant. 
Best Painter Multimedia Artist Interiors, Fiona Staples Saga. Mm-hmm. Best Cover Artist, David Aja Hawkeye. Best Coloring for The Manhattan Project's Nowhere Men, Pretty Deadly, Zero, The Massive, Tom Strong, X-Files Season 10, Captain Marvel, Journey into Mystery, <gasps> Number Cruncher, and Quantum and Woody, Jordi Belair. Is that even all the books? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think so either. Books. But that's, that's a hell of a list of credits. Mm. Amazing. Best Lettering, Darwin Cook, Richard Starks Parker. Cool. Best comic-related periodical journalism comic book resources. We finished a distant 412th, yeah. but there's always next year. <laughs> Got to get out the vote. Was there a list? No. No, 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 no. Oh. There's not. We would, have done, we would have been better than that. Yeah, yeah I would, I would yeah. think so. I don't know if there's 412 out there. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think... Do they even release like a nominees list? Yeah, I think they, they do, that, right? It came out earlier. Oh, that's right. We, did, we talked about it on the show. That's yeah. right. Yeah, okay. Best comic-related book, Genius Illustrated, Life and Art of Alex Toth by Dean Mullaney and Bruce Kenwell. Best scholarly academic work, Black Comics, Politics of Race and Representation, edited mm. by Sheena Howard and Ronald Jackson. Best publication design, Genius Illustrated, the Alex Toth book. What I they didn't uh, show up anywhere was the Hall of Fame Awards. Do we know who? I don't know, no. Couldn't find that anywhere. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, I actually, I feel like I knew this. I saw... Bunch of them. Um, the, nominees, the nominees. The nominees were uh, Orrin C. Evans, Erwin Hassan, Sheldon Moldoff. Okay, the middle uh, two are Golden Age artists. The first fellow, I think, was a publisher of African American. Oh, those back ones in the were day? judges' choices, so they were automatically inducted. Oh, okay. So they were, and then the other choices, um, the nominees. Four will be chosen from voting. Um, let's see. Is there anything here? I'm trying to find something that's more... Um, Winnery. Yeah. Let's see. Good Lord. These are long um, lists. Well, oh, wait. Oh, you got it? Uh, no. What I have this, here, I, I'm on Wikipedia right now, so take this for what it will, but it says that the winners were the two judges' choices, which you talked about, Erwin Hazen and Sheldon Maldoff. Uh, and Orrin C. Evans, all in. Um, Heo Mizaki, uh, Alan oh, Moore, yeah, Denny yeah. O'Neill, and Bernie Wrightson. Well, I knew I well saw deserved. something about that. Yeah. Are all, all in the comic book Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Congratulations to, to them. all those winners. Yes, absolutely. Um, the right. technical awards were given out at a banquet. <laughs> 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 all right, so let's move on from these, uh, these awards, and let's... Um, Let's chat a little about over the books that we're going to be oh. we're going to be doing here. Let's um, talk about Spider Man getting arrested. <laughs> Bob really wants to talk about Bob. This. Really, Bob, talk about no. your article. No, I got a follow up. So just okay. real quick, real but quick. It's as in uh, Hollywood Boulevard, New York City's Times Square has now been inundated with people dressing up in flea bitten superhero and Elmo outfits or whatever, yes. hitting people up for. Uh, I'll pose for a picture for you, and then it's well, uh, money. Mm-hmm. And they get very upset when they're not tipped well. And one of these fellows was getting into it with a lady and her kids. And a policeman told told him to knock it off. He's dressed as Spider-Man. He slugged the policeman <laughs> and got himself arrested. A man who allegedly slugged the police officer in Times Square while dressed as Spider-Man was on $3,500 bail yesterday in Manhattan Criminal Court. Damn. Well, uh, Jameson told you he was a menace. Well, the New York, <laughs> the New York Post, which is the, the real-life Daily Bugle, has got a... a 
a real sort of J. Jonah headline. It's, mm-hmm. you know, Spider-Man busted. <laughs> Spider-Man menace. It's the same thing. What's your follow-up, boss? Uh, over in England, a street performer that was dressed up as Spider-Man was performing, and a local meth head ran by and stole his busking money, and oh. Spider-Man took not only took him down, but held him until the uh, cops showed up to nice. deal with it. And there was a whole video of it. It was pretty funny. Wasn't there a, a She-Hulk that got arrested oh, I don't a few months back in, in London? Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. But if you're a meth head in England, watch out. Watch for Spidey. There was an article um, on uh, I don't remember what website I saw it linked today, which uh, they were talking about like the disguises that mm-hmm. um, celebrities oh, wear at Comic Con. So awesome, yeah. And one of them was Daniel Radcliffe wearing the Spider-Man costume. Yeah. Oh. Um, and the funniest one was the Peter Jackson wearing like this scary like jester outfit, <laughs> and he was he walked from the con, and at one point there was like a guy with like a what, like a like a Hobbit like you know Battle of the Five Armies bag on his back. Yeah. Um. That's obviously and he's standing behind him pointing at it and he's like this really terrifying <laughs> like gesture. It was really cool. That's awesome. Uh, Macy Williams also wore a just a Spider Man mask. Yeah. And walked to the floor and she took like a bunch of photos with people and then at the end of like when she was leaving she posted a photo of herself taking the mask off. She's like, haha, it was me the whole time. <laughs> so everybody that got a picture with either Daniel Ratcliffe or yeah. Macy Williams would be like, oh my god. <laughs> Oh, Pretty cool. Did you see um, what? What's his name? Adam Savage from MythBusters. Uh, the alien suit he wore. No, no. Oh my god, he did like a this whole thing about it. He's been making the suit for ten years, like an exact replica of oh, wow. um, the suit they wear out. Um, is it the Mercury suit? I'm, I'm, I'm from the wrong. from the Sigourney Weaver alien films. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought and, you meant he was dressed like the alien. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry. No, he wears the suit helmet, yeah. like, um, uh, I think it's called the Mercury suit. I, mm. I love the alien movies, but like, I'm not super, you know, mm. I don't know everything about them <laughs> and what their things are called. Um, but yeah, so he did that and like they put, he disguised himself by putting uh, one of the face huggers on like the uh, oh, space I helmet. Oh, I did see that. I did see that. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't that his real gig before? Isn't he a special effects movie oh, yeah. guy? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah, both him and uh, the other guy, Jamie Heineman, are both mm-hmm. um, special effects guys. Um, <laughs> they have or the as younger... Oma, Oma says, "What are they? Kindergarten with their science experiments? Kill me, Stephanie. It's so stupid." <laughs> they had, about five years ago at Icon, they had the whole younger crew. Yeah, Tori and, and yeah, Grant. Of, yeah, and they were blowing stuff up left and right. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, I was really into that show for a little while. <laughs> I really like that show. The story is funny between the two of them because the one guy, Jamie, is like super like well respected effects guy, and the whole thing with Adam is that he was never really the best effects guy, but he's like but he could talk and he was good on camera, so he asked him to do it with him, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting story about the two of them. Didn't know that. Um, all right, so let's move on. Let's go to our lightning round. If you guys don't know the lightning round is, it's where we talk about. The books that we want to talk about in three minutes. Uh, these are books that maybe we've talked about a lot before. Books that we don't have a ton to say about right now, um, but we still feel like they they merit mention on the show. Um, Stephanie, let's start with you. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. Lightning round. Go. All right. So my first book is a follow up to Thorn Loki, The Tenth Realm, uh, number two. Uh, check this out. I honestly wasn't as enamored with this issue as I was the first one. The first one gave a really cool build-up to what was to come, and I felt like the follow-up was kind of, eh, that's all right. Um, Angela is in it a little bit more, thankfully, and uh, actually, she's not really, to be honest, now that I think about it. It's mostly um, the Tenth Realm, 
as you may have guessed, is heaven, um, mm-hmm. where all the angels reside. And they do not like the Asgardians. No, they don't. No. They just don't. Um, so it's a lot of Thor and Loki dealing with the stuff that happens because they've opened up the 10th realm and the angels now know that they're free and shit's about to go down. <laughs> um, liked it. I still like the kind of change up in the art from um, like Asgard to uh, heaven. I think it's really cool what they're doing to kind of change up the actual like aesthetic um, and the overall look. I think that's a really neat aspect. Um, don't know if I'm sold on it now, but you can kind of start to see the stuff they're laying, the groundwork they're laying for stuff that we'll talk about in the second half of the show. <laughs> um, and I just also wanted to mention American Vampire Second Cycle. Finally got around to reading issue three and four. And, you know, every time I think that this book can't be any better, it just gets better. Um, Scott Snyder and Raphael Albuquerque just make vampires terrifying again. And I say this every time I talk about the book, but that is such a huge appeal to reading it. You know, like it actually does scare you without, you know, any kind of cheap thrills. It's all about this look that Raphael Albuquerque has, you know, done up for each strain of vampire in this series. And the subtle things that, uh, Scott Snyder does with the writing of the characters and Pearl is such an amazing amazing character probably one of my favorites in all of comic books she's incredible and I'm really loving seeing where they're taking her story and uh, what they're doing um, and I think that's really it I, I guess no I'll talk about that afterwards but in my books <laughs> in the week. I was like trying to add in some other stuff but uh, I read a lot of stuff today because I got obsessed with Downton Abbey over the weekend. So, <laughs> sorry, you did. Uh, you only had ten seconds left. Woohoo! You filled your time. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, I, I loved your "sure," which sounded so much like Ellen Green from Little Shop of <laughs> Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, Steve, you ready? Yeah. All right, lightning round, go! Amazing Spider-Man number four by Dan Slott and Humberto Ramos. Uh, Original Sin is up and at them, and we're going around to uh, some of the characters in the Marvel Universe and finding out what their original sin is. Uh, Spoiler alert, I guess, (laughs) but uh, original sin for Spider-Man is that there is another Spider-Man, or yet a Spider-Woman. Peter gets exposed to the eye, and basically a whole bunch of stuff comes to light, and he finds out that somebody else was bitten by the radioactive spider way back when, only... They've been kind of kept in captivity and and have been imprisoned for quite some time, uh, essentially because this is an important character that I won't spoil what they turn out to be, but somebody is on the lookout for them by the name of Morlin. He's got kind of a grudge uh, with this character. And Spider-Man, doing what he does, being the hero, shows up, uh, sets her free, and now Morlin has basically sniffed her out and is coming to New York and all hell is uh, I don't know where the hell I was. <laughs> all right, so we're introduced to this new character and uh, the character's name is Silk. It's female. And uh, I'm just super excited to have yet another uh, female spider-related character in the Marvel Universe. Uh, I think it's really cool. 
the way that she uses her powers is super neat, and I absolutely love her costume. It's kind of ingenious, and uh, Peter is actually a little bit jealous that he didn't think of it first. So really, really cool stuff. Uh, still very excited about that series to see where it goes. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is actually from a while back uh, from Rick Remender and Francis uh, Francovilla, and it's called Sorrow. Uh, I'm sorry, and the Seth Peck uh, was also written by, so it's Rick Remender and Seth Peck together, and letters by Ed Dukeshire. Uh, picture a story that is part Wolf Creek, part uh, The Hills Have Eyes, and part Hatchet. Uh, this is a straight-up backwoods, like desolate area horror story about people getting in a car accident and having to pull over into a town and the town is infested with just crazy people and mutants and monsters and all these like, you know, sick and twisted things, nightmarish things. And it just so happens that all of the events of the car breaking down and them getting stuck there has kind of all been preordained. And a lot of the townspeople believe that one of the people involved in this accident is a, an heir returned to basically seal the bloodline of this town and release them from this nightmarish torment. Um, the art is super, super cool. I mean, it's Francesco Francavilla, so you know that you're getting quality. But the cool thing about it is is that it looks almost as if it was done with like those blackboards that when you scratch them off, the white appears underneath. So like almost like he scalpeled this whole thing. Um, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it's quite funny at times. It's scary. It's grotesque. So if you're a horror fan, you love those like backwoods horror stories, definitely check out uh, Sorrow from Rick Remender. I'm sure you can find it. I found it for three bucks. It's one collected trade, four issues, and uh, hopefully it'll scare the shit out of you. Awesome. Just in time for Halloween. Absolutely. Um, we'll talk but, more about Mr. Francovilla in a little while. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, I'll be talking about Silk a little later. Hey. Oh, yeah. Mm. Is she not new? No, oh, she, she's new. No, she's new. Oh. There's she one of things what, to do. One of Bob's stories, that, his Ooh. Comic-Con Ooh. stories. Oh. Uh, Bob, since you read all those nominees, I'm going to have you go last. Okay. So I'm going to go now. Um, Give everybody a break. <laughs> yeah, they don't have to listen to my voice. <laughs> all right, here we go. Lightning round and go. All right, so Daredevil number six. All I'm going to say is that it's not fair that the backup artist, the fill-in artist for Daredevil is as good as he is in this book. You Javier, that, huh? Javier Rodriguez is amazing. I mean, he's always he's always kind of the wow. person who's filling in for Samney when he's out. But, I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable that he is the... I can't believe he doesn't have a full-time gig drawing for any books from Marvel. It's ridiculous. Rid- it's ridiculous. Should write an angry email. Yeah. Superman number 33. Um, story continues to be excellent, um, but I feel like the art got a little bit more spotty in the second issue. Mm. It's a little bit more inconsistent. Uh, where I feel like that first issue was very tight. Every Everything was was really well done. I feel like there are some times here where the the, the work is just not... It, it varies. The quality of the work varies from page to page sometimes. Um more on the DC train here. Um, uh, Batman and Robin, number 33, continuing the Robin Rises storyline. Um, this is uh, Pete Tomasi, uh, Patrick Gleason, um, with uh, Mick Gray as an inker and John Calise as colorist. Um, I loved this book. Uh, it was, it felt like a connected old style DC universe again with characters oh. communicating and knowing each other and having relationships and very, very cool stuff. Um, very good conversation between uh, Superman and Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, they need more of those. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Supreme blue rose. Number one, this is Warren Ellis and Tula Latoy. Latay. Um, first of all, stunning to look at. Absolutely stunning to look at. Indeed. Um, I have no idea what the good God is going on in it. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the character of Supreme. Uh, I know it's kind of one of the not the original, but one of the first big image characters. And I I I, went, I researched it. I read Wikipedia about it. It seems to be about a male Superman archetype hero, um, and there are no males at all, I don't think, in this book. Um, hmm. So I don't understand quite where we're going with it, how that main character fits in. Um, very, very well written, but it's Warren Ellis, so it's really bizarre and crazy. Um, and last, Tukey, number one, Save the Humans. This is uh, Jeff Smith, who wrote Bone. Um, really, really cool kind of widescreen yeah. uh, layout of the book about kind of the first... Um, you know, the first homo uh, erectus uh, and, and, and how there were different kinds of human beings walking the earth when, when, you know, when the diff, when we, the, when the, the last race initially becomes, you know, the dominant one because it has more mental skills and all this other stuff. Um, but it's about kind of exodus out of Africa for the first time. Uh, really, really cool stuff. I mean, not something you'd think about in a comic book, mm-hmm. but um, really, really neat. Yeah. Uh, I picked it up in the shop. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I think it'd be great for children because it it, it, it I think also yeah. very educational. The art is stunning. Oh, the art is stunning. It's it, it's amazing. And as someone in uh, like kind of my list of shame, like I've never read Bone, mm-hmm. um, which is one of those books everyone tells you you should read. Um, it makes me want to re- visit more of his work. Um, and that's my lightning round. Can uh-huh. I ask why the Supreme Lady has a gull on her head? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Good question. Maybe that's part of the mystery. Yeah, it's part of the mystery. It's, it's pretty She's mysterious. auditioning for part two of True Patriot, Gull Girl. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. It's issue number four, Bob. We'll find out. Uh-huh. It's, in, it's in previews. It's really, really, really weird. It's really weird. It's really good. I didn't. I read it, yeah. and I, I put it down. I went, okay. Yeah. And I moved on to the next book. I, I'm not used to Warren Ellis. I'm, I'm starting to get into his stuff, and I just I find it to be a very rough entry mm-hmm. uh, with with most of his stuff yeah it's uh it's fascinating i, I find these things they did they did it with this obviously they did a couple of years ago with glory um with, oh, and with right. profit yeah. as well these kind of reimaginings of these are initial um image characters in kind of a new style i think is a very um interesting way to go about it and those t- other two series are, were hugely acclaimed so uh i think it's cool for them to go back into their history and play on their history, but while completely reinventing it. Yeah. Now, what are the... Okay, Savage Dragon's still coming out, though. I think it's been renumbered a few times. Spawn? Spawn is still coming still out. Yeah. Same number, right? Yeah. Uh, Witchblade's been... I don't know. Up, Witchblade, up and back a few times? I feel like there's no Witchblade coming out right now. I feel I, like. Um, I, think I think so. Witchblade is actually still coming out. It is? is it? I think. Uh, I could be wrong, but Young, I started Blood's reading gone, it a while yeah. back, actually. Yeah, because and there's we been, were... a, yeah, there's been a bunch of stuff. There's been a, a, it's a crossovers and all the other stuff. So, I don't know. I don't. Re- I don't. Re- again, this is just reading out the releases yeah. every week. I don't remember reading out any Witchblade no- next to a number, you know. But <laughs> I could be absolutely wrong about that. Um, Youngblood, no, uh, nothing. So, uh, I think it's interesting though because they, they, you know, their history is obviously a lot shorter, but they do have a history. And being able to play on that, I think, is cool. Especially you're gonna bring in creators like Warren Ellis to do it. Well, it's one of those things we were discussing the future of the industry at some level. Image is amazing, mm-hmm. but it's all, it's so creator-driven that there's no cohesive universe mm. except it's the brand and those creators. If they could ever come up with creator-owned superheroes that they could link together. Yeah, I feel like that, that, that exactly goes against like what I know that, that would make them so special right now. You know? Um, so I, I, I don't know. I think that would be... I, I think they are doing so well because unlike... I, I think unlike Dark Horse and IDW as well, they're not chasing right. that, that that superhero market. I, I know that. Yeah. But the 
their numbers are up. And we'll probably yeah. talk about Eric Stevenson later. Mm. And their numbers are staggering. When everyone else is going down, they're going up. Yeah. But it's still a small number, but it's getting mm. bigger. Right. There are people who want the comfort of their chair in the living room. Right. And I know. That they can plop into the same one every month. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm not saying that should be all their company, but if they yeah. turned some of those books inward just a little, mm-hmm. not a lot, not, not events, please, right. no, no events, <laughs> no events, just a unified right, I got what you're saying. field theory. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. For later. For That's later. For later. Um, all right. Let's talk about your lightning round, Bob. And three minutes on the clock. Lightning round. Go. Invaders number eight, James Robinson. We're back to Steve Pugh this time. Uh, uh, Torch's ex-partner, Toro. Turns out he's an inhuman, not just some kid who can go on <gasps> fire. <laughs> And he's been cocooned, and it's been taken by some high-tech terrorist group, which they do. They, they've been doing that all through these I books. I feel like that's going on in several books. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> Avengers Assemble, it was very big. Yeah. Now, uh, the Winter Soldier, Bucky, is in for Cap, and the book kind of misses him, which is mm. really strange. The other really strange thing, there's a big finale, which I won't spoil, that is sort of spoiled because there's a missing word balloon somewhere because there's a line that references something that didn't get said. <laughs> so it fell off the, the the photostats or something. I have no idea. Uh, speaking of, of Avengers type things, it's Mighty Avengers number 12, Al Ewing, Greg Land. It's their original sin, which has been really great. It's a, the 70s Mighty Avengers, which is Blue Marvel, Blade, Luke Cage's dad, Kalu the Magician, who we're going to see in the next version of Mighty Avengers, reported Constance Malita, and they hear about the Death Walkers from the mysterious Bear. We want to see more of her, by the way, and I hope she'll be right back. And what we get here is... Tons of cosmic timey-wimey stuff. <laughs> and just just great fun. And this is going to come to a bang-up ending we've been promised. More Avengers thing, but it's the other ones. It's Steed and Mrs. Peel Where Needed, number one of six from Boom. Ian Edgington, apparently the first Englishman to write an Avengers comic book series. And Marco Consento. Mm-hmm. Perfectly captures the look and the feel of, well, it's my number two TV show of all time. Has the voices right. The look is really good. A lot of great little subtleties in the art and facial expressions, little sort of sly grins on Mrs. Peel, so on. Just a lot of fun if you're a fan of the series. That cover's amazing. And finishing up, Star Trek, Harlan Ellison sitting on the edge of forever from IDW. Uh, Scott and David Tipton doing the words, J.K. Woodward. I've read this screenplay, I can't tell you how many times, seeing the episode even more. Seeing the words brought to life of the real script and seeing the guardians of forever, these old men controlling all of time and space instead of a big donut. Really makes a difference. This has been so great. I can't wait to see what they put together as extras. IDW does great work with these things. When this comes out as a trade, should be a heck of a lot of fun. And that's it for me. Oh, wow, Bob. You had 40 seconds left. You did like a million books. He's the champ. Uh, yeah, wow. he's definitely the champ. <laughs> you will never uh, believe can... this. And or I maybe feel, you I feel will. Like, I feel like Bob says more in like the 40 seconds that he talks about a book than we say when we do our books of the week and talk for oh, a few Every week. <laughs> I, I prepare. That's all it's about. Never missed a show. Uh, What's going on here? What? Well, I phoned in. You ph- yeah, phoned that, in. That, that counts as not missing it. You know what? I still, I see I have 20 seconds or whatever. Mm. I still have that vertigo. It's gone really? away a lot, but not completely gone. Mm. If I wake up too, too early in the morning, I wish I was drinking to get there. I mean, at least I would have had the fun of getting to that Maybe point. Maybe your punch is being spiked. You need to live in a ball pit. So yeah, that, that could help. Just... That couldn't get hurt. I know a friend of mine. Actually, you've met Ed. He played a zombie mm-hmm. in our movie. He got roofied. Oh, oh my God. He what? Was, yeah, he was at Jones Beach. We have this outdoor amphitheater where they do summer concerts. They used to serve alcohol, regular beer st- stands and whatever. Yeah, nine bucks a pop. Right. Mm-hmm. And he, he, had, he bought two, for he, one for him and one for his wife. 
and turned away to get the money and came back and then handed the beers out and it probably was trying aiming mm. for his wife and got him and like two minutes later he was having hallucinations and passed out on the floor and whoa yeah and he he can hold his liquor pretty well so it was you wow. know, your first beer of the night to end up unconscious and then like in the hospital that's a scary yeah. story yeah yeah seriously well, yeah I'm going back to your books for a second, Bob, okay. because I read Steed and Mrs. Peel. <gasps> and what did you think? I thought it was great. I, I'm not too familiar with the characters. Like, we used to sell the uh, the DVDs and the story worked out all the time. So I knew about them. But you've talked so fondly about them all this time. Mm-hmm. And I saw it in the store. And I was like, I'm going to pick this up. Also, the cover is really beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so I decided to check it out. And while I don't know the characters very well... I did enjoy it. It's very fun. It's very old school spy, and um, it's very British. Like, oh yeah, all the language and everything. And I thought it was a lot of fun. Here's a great little bit of Avengers info, just for fun. Beyond that, you know, they were the Avengers before Marvels mm-hmm. were, and the original comics had to be called Steed and Mrs. Peel to avoid problems. When Gold Key put one out. There, he had another female partner before. It was a woman named Honor Blackman who played Pussy Galore and Goldfinger. And she left that show to go do the Bond movie. And Diana Rigg came in uh, right out of the Royal Shakespeare Company. As you can see now when she's in Game of Thrones, <laughs> there, she's an actress, actress. Mm-hmm. But she did this for $250 a week <laughs> and left after two years because Shakespeare paid more. <laughs> but they asked in that first series, the two, the male and female leads, it was still John Steed and the same actor, they kind of butted heads. He was always trying to, not proposition her, but try to get together and let, we should be a couple and... She rebuffed him. She was a doctor. She was an anthropologist. You know, Emma Peel here, the, slightly younger, and all this sort of stuff. And they asked the producer, a guy named Brian Clemens, well, when are they going to get together? And he went, they're not. They're not. The way I look at it, they already have. So they're now in that comfortable place where they're friends. That's all it's ever going to be. And they can tease each other and have, have laughs and fun. And there's that tension, but not that other thing, which ruins so many television shows. Mm. And he said this nearly 50 years ago. <laughs> he knew about jumping the shark. Even right, then. Yeah. So if, if you read the book, Stephanie, from that perspective, that, that could certainly help you out. All right. Well, I am enjoying it so far. So I think I'm going to at least, I'm, I don't know if I'll read it like issue to issue, but I think I'm going to at least pick up the trade when it's all out. Oh, I think the trade might be the way to go. I mean, I'm a fanatic. I'll have to have all of them. But the last time around... You Mark, a fanatic? Yeah. On, on this, yes. I've got every episode <laughs> with every every partner, the whole mess of them. <laughs> Taped them off television, bought bootlegs for $35 a double feature back in the early 80s. Hardcore. Hardcore. <laughs> Hardcore. Met Patrick Knee once, which was nice. Cool. Yeah, so... Anyway. All right. Anyway, that's it. Where are we moving to now? We're going to do Books of the Week now. (gasps) We're going to Stephanie first on this one. Stephanie, bring it on. Books of the Week. Oh. All right. Well, I'm going to start with uh, Justice League of Canada. Excuse Um, me. I can can look at... I can publish the email that you sent me where you indeed wrote Justice League United, Stephanie. Because (laughs) I was like... Because technically it's called Justice League United and then like the arc is the Justice League of Canada, which is stupid. Yep. Um, <laughs> Call it what you want. You're a Canadian. You're allowed. Well, I have the Justice League of Canada covers. So, <laughs> you know, I, I feel justified in my heart. <laughs> I don't know. I've got nothing. Anyways, so written by Jeff Lemire and art by Mike McComb. And just right off the bat, you know, even with the zero issue, you can tell 
that this is written by a Canadian. It I haven't read Essex uh, County. So good. Um, but you know, like it harks. I, I know what the you know the premise is, and it kind of goes back to his rural roots kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, he touches on a lot of stuff going on in parts of Canada that no one has heard of, even if you live in Canada. Um, so you can tell that it's someone who loves the country and is familiar with, you know, more than just, you know, the big cities and stuff. And, uh, star girl is the team leader here and she's trying very hard to, uh, you know, reign in a team that she really isn't sure. She, she's not sure if they're the justice league. It's like, are we the justice league? Who are we? What's going on? She's like Zoolander looking into the puddle and saying, who am I? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, they all consider her like a kid and they don't really give her a lot of respect. And Green Arrow and Animal Man are really butting heads. They're like Wolverine and Cyclops in the X-Men movies. Um, They just don't seem to like each other. And their banter's fun, but they are just not getting shit done. They are not a team. (laughs) And it is up to Stargirl and Martian Manhunter to fix that. Because there is a threat. Oh, there is a threat. And it is not Tim Hortons and Canadians taking over the world. Um, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I thought that it, it has a different feel from um, the Forever Evil tie-ins that this is a spin-off of. But it still has the same vibe. Uh, you know, Courtney kind of is still trying to find her place in the superhero world. Um, and Animal Man has been, you know, axed now. It's over with. So it's nice to see Buddy Baker back in a book as well. And just the team stuff and what's going on. Um, There's only four issues, technically five, if you include the zero issue. So I've read everything now except for the final remaining uh, one. And I like it. I think it's cool. There's not nearly enough of the one new character that Jeff Lemire is introducing, but I'm hoping that that's going to come about. Uh, He's going to fix that in the last issue a bit more. Um, But I think it's another unique look at some characters that wouldn't otherwise be showcased. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He mentioned an interview this weekend about that. And he talked about how he was going for more of the, you know, um, justice league, you know, international, Mm-hmm. You know, the Giffen, you know, the Giffen vibe, um, because, you know, he, he said he wanted to do something big and fun. He's like, not everything I do has to be, you know, really serious yeah. a, 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 and heart wrenching. And he said one of the things that he, the reason he wanted to have Buddy Baker in it is because he's like, I felt bad. He's like, I put him through hell for three years <laughs> in Animal Man. So now he gets to have a smile on his face and gets to, you know, have he talked about the banter between Arrow and, um, yeah. and, and Animal Man. Yeah. There, it is very much like Cyclops and Wolverine minus the Jean Grey factor. You know, they're mm-hmm. really at each other's throat and he's making fun of them. Like, you know, they're they're in the the wilderness, the Canadian wilderness. So it's snowy and shit. And <laughs> so Buddy Baker is like channeling things that'll help him like Arctic foxes and uh, like rabbits and stuff. But like if he's like a rabbit, he's hopping around like a rabbit and stuff. <laughs> and Green Arrow was like, Seriously? Do you know how ridiculous you look? And he's like, you shoot arrows. Like, thanks. <laughs> thanks for all the help there, buddy. Um, boxing gloves on the end. Yeah. yeah, and they're just... They... Courtney doesn't know how... To, like, she doesn't have the seniority to be like, guys, quit it! 
And every time she does, they're like patting her on the head. And she's, you know, her and Martian Manhunter, um, he's not trying to undermine her, but he is trying to, you know, help make this a team. And I really like the dynamic. It's weird to see Jeff do um, something a little more fun because his stuff does tend to be pretty dark. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so it almost feels like he like it's on the edge of really bleak, horrible, endless sorrow. But with like a touch of, <laughs> it always just feels like that's, you know, you know, air. Jeff LeBeer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I really like it so far. Uh, are they doing more after this? Do we know what's happening with this series? Yeah. That's, well, that's why they're, they changed the Justice League United was because they're, they're doing like a, he's going to move it a team around to different places, but he's supposed to stay on the book. Okay. Um, yeah. Justice so League it's going to be just, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's not ending after no, uh, this final issue in Canada. No, eh? this is this this series has basically replaced Justice League of America. Okay. So Justice League of America is no longer happening and this took over for it. All right. Yeah. Well, I like it so far. I think it's pretty cool. So I'm interested to see where they go with it and as long as the quality keeps up, you know, um whether Jeff Lemire stays on it or they replace him, I hope, you know, it it's a good team and it gives you it's given a fair chance because again, like I said, like I really like seeing some characters that you don't really see anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> and my second book is something I read today. Uh, and I'm going to share it with you. I don't know. <laughs> I got Thank nothing. You. You, so, you've watched um, way too much Downton Abbey. I think. I Passing out milk and cookies. Mm-hmm. Let's not talk about it. I'm still torn up about that. That milk and cookie scene me. was harrowing oh man bobby (laughs) you don't even understand it was like seriously like the cookie fell into the tea and (laughs) they didn't have a spoon to fish it out and they're really prim and proper so you don't know know, mrs wimbledon's pain take it out with their hand it was awful yeah and then maggie smith yelled at the cookie (laughs) maggie smith does not yell she talks fiercely with force (laughs) (laughs) Um, ladies do not yell or shout at Steve. <laughs> oh, my mistake. <laughs> Where have I been living all this time? <laughs> Anyways, on to my book that's not Downton Abbey related, although there is a Downton Abbey book and it's done all with like, um, taxidermied mice. <laughs> it's like the best thing ever. I want to see that show. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh my God. Anyways, so, um, not related to Downton Abbey at all. Breath of Bones, A Tale of the Golem by Steve Niles, Dave uh, Watcher, and uh, Matt Santoro. Um, So I got this a little while back. If you follow Steve Niles on Twitter or anything, he's been doing um, sort of uh, Skype interviews and Q&A sessions with comic book stores. So basically a comic book store will set up like a TV or something and he does um, you know, a conference call where people can join in, ask him questions and do a Q and a, and he never has to leave his home and prearranged. They have, you know, some signed books for people to buy and so on and so forth. So I went to one of these, uh, get togethers and chatted with Steve Niles and I picked up this book and only just now got around to reading. But, um, it's this great story about, you know, uh, world war two and a little boy who, you know, they're in a small town and, all the men are taken away 
to fight in the war. Um, and he's left with his grandparents. And um, after uh, the war comes to their town, eventually, after um, a pilot crashes near and uh, the town makes a decision to kind of, you know, keep this pilot safe and deal with the consequences of it. Um, stuff happens and, uh, you know, what happened? I mean, they rely on a golem to kind of try and save the day. And for those of you who aren't really familiar with uh, golems, I'm going to try my best to explain this. But, you know, it's it's kind of like a guardian and usually they're made up of some earth element. Like they come from the earth and they protect um, a person or in this case, um, a town. And uh, it's just this really, really beautiful story. And it's kind of almost like this, it's not quite watercolory, but it's black and white art. And uh, it's just stunning. Um, I'm trying to think of, let me see here. Um, so, Steve Niles and Matt Santoro did the story together. Steve did the script. And then the art is by Dave uh, Watchter. And it's, I don't know, like sometimes black and white art can really uh, miss, miss the point. Like some of the emotions and some of, you know, what they're trying to convey doesn't get through. But there's a lot of shading and a lot of just amazing line work in this that I, I can't even imagine how long this took him to do because the detail is phenomenal. Um, and it's just stunning, but I, I totally lost my train of thought with that, but it's <laughs> honestly just fantastic. It's, uh, we, we've talked a lot about dark horse putting out these amazing, uh, hardcover books. And this is one of them, uh, again, from dark horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Books. I heard a lot of great things about it when it came out. It was la- last year. Yeah, I believe so. It was either, well, I guess we're not too far into this year, although, oh my God, there's like four months till Christmas, you guys. It was definitely, (laughs) it was definitely 2013 at the earliest, if it wasn't 2012. So actually it came out this year. So the first edition was February 2014. Oh, of the, of the collection, right? Oh yeah, 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 you're right. The single issues I'm talking about. It did come out in three single issues. Yes, it did. Yeah. Um, And this is a collect-in. Gotcha. Um, But yeah, it's seriously beautiful. It's definitely worth checking out and the way they do the golem and again i'm really bad at explaining what these are if anyone watches sleepy hollow there's a golem in that i do Mm -hmm. watch the old movie from the 20s (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i'm just trying to think of ways to make it sound it's a monster it's sort of a a clay robotic frankenstein it's a jewish yeah legend legend, basically protects families villages Mm -hmm. had the word truth in hebrew written across its forehead ms Mm -hmm. they're usually like um is there anything you don't know yeah seriously (laughs) that's exactly what i was thinking (laughs) sorry (laughs) bobby and i were like (laughs) like i knew about the like the it was a, a jewish legend but i didn't know about the written on its head that's crazy all right go ahead <laughs> 70, sorry. no yeah. i mean i just kind of was going into a little more detail about the golem but mm-hmm. the story isn't so much about the golem itself i mean it's called a tale of the golem um but really it's kind of just the story of this little boy um and his village and you know doing what they need to do to survive without anyone to really protect them because it's the elderly and women and children mm-hmm. everyone else is often fighting in the war 
uh, and they all know that realistically no one's coming back to help them and they need to protect themselves. So it's, it, it was a beautiful story and I definitely recommend it. I mean, again, Dark Horse makes beautiful editions of these books and, you know, it's $15 for this great hardcover and I can't recommend it enough. Awesome. Awesome. So that's uh, Breath of Bones, Tale of the Gollum. And what was your first book, Stephanie? It was Justice League of Canada. Well, if yes, you're actually is. looking for the book in a comic book store, it's just yeah. like United. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the first, the zero issue and the first four are out right now. Yeah. And I guess it's really important to note that a lot of times zero issues tend to be the prequel stuff. Like it's not really um, necessarily important to read. But in this case, it actually is like the number one. It is, yeah. I don't know why they did the numbering like this, but if you're thinking you can start at number one and you'll know what's happening, I think you should go back and find the zero. I think it was because the Forever Evil was delayed, and this series is supposed to be a post-Forever Evil story, oh, yes, that's and right. the first issue came out before the end of Forever Evil. Uh, so I think that's why they numbered it weird. Well, like that. that is... Um, a little word of warning to anyone who might want to try this out yeah. or if you're just waiting for the trade, but you know, if you are going to pick up the single issues, do start with number zero, Yes, which is weird to say. If you're waiting for the trade, re- you're reading it in two years. Yes. <laughs> That's how DC yeah. puts out their collected editions. Um, oh, DC. All right. Awesome. Steve, what do you got for us? I got some books, man. Well, I hope so. This is the book of the week segment. So <laughs> <laughs> now nah, I thought I'd just, <laughs> yeah. you know, put my feet up. Yeah. Uh, I got The Fifth Beetle, the Brian Epstein story. Uh, this was written by Vivek J. Uh, Tawari. Tawari, yeah. All right, Tawari. With art by Andrew C. Robinson, with Kyle Baker, and lettering by Steve Dutro. Uh, what this book is, is it's an autobiographical, yes? No, biographical. Bi- sorry, biographical. What's the difference? Auto means the, the guy who's about wrote it. Oh. So that'd be if Brian Epstein actually wrote his own book. Oh, yeah. well, he, he couldn't do that because no, he's, he he's kind of not around yeah, anymore. He's, he's dead. Yeah. yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers, <laughs> guys. So this is the this is the biography of kind of the underappreciated, under celebrated Brian Epstein, who was the manager of the Beatles for you know X amount of of years, pretty much since the beginning, put them on the map. And um, I mean, I started. I, I'd heard the Beatles my whole life. My parents were huge fans. They went to a bunch of shows when they were younger. Um, but it wasn't until I went on a family vacation to go whitewater rafting that my cousin Je- cousin Jeff was driving and his tape deck was broken, <gasps> and all he had in there was a Beatles tape that played over <laughs> and over and over. And when you're a kid and you're in a you're doing a car ride to wherever Pennsylvania or whatever the hell it was from Long Island, New York, mm. time is kind of it stretches for a kid. And that was a long ride. It might as well be an eternity. Right. It's like right. six hours might as well be your entire life right. when you're a kid. And Einstein it was, sign was right. Yeah. 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 Time dilation. Yeah. It was the uh, it was the red, like the best of the red album. Mm-hmm. So I got, you know, at least three, four years worth of Beatles songs <laughs> all in that trip. And I finally on that trip got to see what the band was about and what my parents have been talking about all those years and grew to have an appreciation for them. And then of course now that I'm older, I appreciate their music that much more. That said I did not know who Brian Epstein was. Now I do. And we owe him a great deal. Uh, the Fifth Beatle is an absolutely positively... I mean, is this... this is Can this be included in this year's list? Or was this... It was last year. Damn it. Did we, did we put this up for... <laughs> no, because no, no one had read it. That... 
<laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> we should fire ourselves. <laughs> um, this book is absolutely just jaw-droppingly gorgeous, and it blows my mind, absolutely blows my mind, that only two people are responsible for this. The book it has this overall like painterly vibe to it but when sequences change or times change or little vignettes or or dream sequences or just things that are off kilter come into play there's all these different styles and different colors and different vibes that the book kind of throws you into without warning and the like when you see somebody drawing a book they typically keep the same style throughout to keep it consistent this is two artists just going off the wall and like waking up as a different person with different talents and drawing, you know, a couple pages or a panel or two. Um, just a really, really stunning collection of of different art styles. The colors are absolutely out of this world. And the story is so unbelievably touching that I, I really I never knew about this guy. I never knew that. In the beginning, you know, the Beatles were playing down in uh, this place called the Cavern, and they were nobodies. They were just, you know, four dudes doing their thing. But this one, this one guy got invited one night to this club that he was trying to get into, and basically being turned away and trying to live his life elsewhere, and getting shit on the other end for that. But this girl gets him in, and he hears their music, and the whole world just stops. Like there's nothing but him and the music and he falls in love and he just so happens to be the son of a, basically a, like a music store mogul or a guy that owns like one of the most successful music shops in town. And he basically makes it his own personal mission to make sure that the Beatles are one day bigger than Elvis. That's kind of his pitch. You know, he's telling everybody, you just have to trust me. You got to believe me. These guys are going to be bigger than Elvis and I'm going to bring them there. You'll see. And throughout their career, you get to see this beautiful, beautiful friendship blossom and the you know, Beatles and Brian Epstein are all hanging out. But there's this struggle and this overwhelming sense of loneliness for this guy uh, throughout the book who happens to be uh, homosexual in his private life. And I guess at, at that time, or perhaps still, I don't know, but the UK frowns upon that. And if that gets out, socially speaking, it, it could ruin you, especially if you're a man of note. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, you know, this shadow that's hanging over him throughout his career and his time with the Beatles. And then you have their popularity on top of that. And, you know, this kind of unsung hero behind the scenes, pulling all the strings and getting them onto the Ed Sullivan show and putting them on stage and getting them their haircuts and putting them in the suits and, you know, just arranging for them to be within these moments of opportunity to become big. And he always sees the bigger picture for them and pushes them to do it. And as they become more popular, he's kind of left to his own devices. And because of his lifestyle, he's very lonely. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately that leads to addiction and that leads to drugs and that leads to pushing people away and mood swings and getting in over his head money-wise because he's he's donating things personally to the band and they don't know about it. And it's just a really incredible story about this person that was so dedicated and believed in that band so much that he did everything that he did throughout the story to get them to where they were. Like, you would have to wonder if the Beatles would be who they were, who they are today, if it wasn't for Brian Epstein. Mm -hmm. It's really incredible. 
um, my mom, I gave this to my mom. My mom has read two books uh, that I've handed her since we started the show, and that's um, The Underwater Welder, which she loved. Then I gave her this, and she handed it back to me. She's like, that was so sad. She goes, I lived that whole book. Mm. And she goes, that was incredible. Like Even everything down to the president getting shot and the the mirroring of conversations when that happened, and you can feel the buildup, and you can feel the tension. Um, and especially when Brian starts to get into like the throes of his addiction and everything, there's this one panel of him sitting in a chair and like waiting for this appointment that he has with this big record executive who turns out to be a complete jerk. Um, and it's just a panel of him with his leg kind of twitching around and his fingers tapping on the chair. It's this tiny little panel. And I stopped and stared at it for about 10 minutes trying to like trace the lines of it with my eyes because I was so mesmerized by the movement in it. And I got like, nervous like 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 i like my heart rate went up and it was just a really really interesting place within the book to stop with all of the gorgeous gorgeous artwork throughout that i mean there are just pages that you just have to stop and stare for a while um i went on like a, a beatles binge <laughs> after reading it and this like for the last three days it's been nothing but you know sergeant peppers and mm. help and the white album and all of that stuff so um, I know, Bobby, you did uh, some stuff for this at, at Comic-Con a while back. Yeah, last year at Comic-Con, I interviewed uh, Vivek uh, Tawari about the, the book, and um, that's on our YouTube page, and I can put it in the article if, we want, if you guys want to check that out. But um, he, he's a really passionate, interesting guy who obviously really believes in this, and they're supposed to be also, the, it's already been optioned for a movie. I was going to say, um, yeah. And uh, it's supposed to be directed by Peyton Reed, actually, the guy who's making oh, A-Man oh, right now. Word. Um, but the interesting about this, side note to the book, is that there is... There is a school of people in the Brian Epstein stuff who they talk about him in the fifth beetle. There's a whole school of people too who who think Brian Epstein is like the worst person in the world. Oh really? Yeah, because like the the, the Beatles' initial manager who they had who, when they were nobodies, you know, th- there's differing stories, but one of the stories is that Epstein kind of forced him out. Ah, uh, it's not in here. Yeah, like forced him out of managing the Beatles and kind of went behind his back and took took the band away from him. Um, and so there's like a, there's like somebody's making a documentary right now about like decrying Brian Epstein. It's really funny. It's interesting. Hmm. Like these, these kind of like different takes on, on history. But, um, when they, they showed the book off at Comic-Con, it was, I was struck by how absolutely gorgeous it was. And, um, same thing with you. I can't believe that, um, it's, it's like 90% one artist, uh, with 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 a couple of you know with what the other artists doing a few other it's incredible a few of the most more like trippy trippy panels but it's amazing yeah yeah I um and another great hardcover from Dark Horse too yeah seriously put together yeah yeah there's a reason that it won the Eisner mm-hmm. it's it's that impressive uh, anybody that's a Beatles fan or just you like biographies you like you know graphic style or graphic novel representations of those things. You've, I, I don't see how you cannot not read this book. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I just don't get yeah. it. So, uh, so now with uh, phonogram, wicked and divine, and that should we expect you to be? I don't know, reviewing Dazzler next week. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll review some Dazzler. She okay. got a book coming out. Well, she's in. She's in all X-Men. new X Men. All new X Men. Oh. Yeah. All right. We should be friends. She, I don't think she's singing anymore. Yeah. Though. There's uh, well, somebody. She's, she's kind of pissed. Somebody put up a music video, like a Dazzler music video. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> well, they were going to make a movie years and years. Oh, yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, she was actually supposed to be a real personality, like a real yep. person that was yeah. a Dazzler, and it was mm-hmm. a crossover between Casablanca Records and Marvel to do mm-hmm. like promotion into music and media, and um, yeah, they were supposed to have the movie and a soundtrack, and she was going to have like 
a recording label. Wow. Or not a recording label. Baby Dazzler. Records. In her roller skates and disco suit. And yeah, Casablanca yeah. fell apart in a whole lot of drug fueled disco parties. <laughs> no, see, 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 the whole company fell to pieces. Mm. Hmm. Very popular, big right. company, but nothing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's fine. So, Dazzler next week. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Why not? All right. So, uh, I believe it was last year. Um, I know this crazy, crazy cat lady who uh, evidently was listening when I told her that uh, The Thief of Always is my favorite book of all time written by Clive Barker. And she just so happened to mail me The Thief of Always, the graphic novel version. Yeah. Stephanie. <laughs> so I finally, I was in the mood. I, I've been thinking about the book, the novel version a lot in the last couple weeks. And I said, you know what? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read this. And oh man, it was, I remember now why it's my favorite book. Uh, it's my favorite book because it was the first of its kind that I read of kind of my favorite fantasy scenario in in literature in general of just the kind of the the kid being taken away to a fantasy land and having that fantasy land be corrupted and and having it be bad. Um, so this is actually, this is Clive Barker's The Thief of Always, and the adaption is by Chris Opresco, uh, and illustrated by Gabriel Hernandez, who, I found out, is Gabriel Hernandez Walta now, who is the artist on the new Magneto book by Cullen Bunn. Wow. Yeah, uh, pretty awesome. And letters by Robbie Robbins and Tom B. Long. So... Uh, the Thief of Always, really quick, is the story of Harvey Swick, who's basically a, not a brat, but just a just a kid who's kind of bored with school and hates his parents. He's, he's going through puberty, probably, I would imagine. And uh, in his room, this guy shows up by the name of Rictus. He's got this big smile on his face, big black coat and black hat. And he goes, you know what, man? I know a place that you can go where you don't have to worry about any of this stuff and you can go for as long as you want. You could even go for, for two or three hours. Your parents will never even know that you were gone. It's awesome. Like you could do anything you want there. Sky's the limit. And he's like, Oh man, you know, yeah, I'd love to do that. And he's like, all right, well I can't bring you right now. So let me go just go talk to the boss. And the guy, the guy shows up and basically what Rick does does is by leaving him and ma- making him wait a couple weeks is he starts to question whether or not the exchange ever happened at all. Was he so bored that one day he just imagined this guy coming and offering to him, you know, to take him away to this this fantasy land, this place. And by doing that, you know, you obsess over it and you start to question your sanity and did it happen? So Rictus comes back and he says, hey, man, I got you a spot, but we got to go right now. You got to make a decision and we got to go. So Harvey decides to go with Rictus to this place and it's owned by... Um, like an unknown entity called Mr. Hood. And it is a house of sorts uh, away from town behind a brick wall where anything can happen. Winter, summer, all four seasons happen in one day. Every night is Thanksgiving dinner. Every morning is Christmas. And every night before you go to sleep, you can make a wish and the wish will show up as a gift underneath the tree in the morning. Um, and everything seems awesome. There are other kids there. They're a little weird, but, you know, it's all good. But the problem is is that time starts to kind of slip away. And, you know, Harvey's kind of like, you know, I got I to gotta make sure my parents are, are cool with this. I feel like I've been gone for a while. Can I use the phone? And they're like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, go ahead. But it's all magic. 
And so the person that he's talking to on the other end is, is not his parents. Turns out he's been gone for 30 years. And he's, yeah, and he's been in this fantasy land living with these kids and doing these things. Eventually he figures it out and he wants out. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in this book. There's like just mysterious cats. There's monsters living in the bog behind the house. Uh, There's this old woman who just keeps saying these really cryptic things to him. He's hearing voices in the walls. Uh, It's a really super intense horror story for kids. Like, you can totally hand this to any, you know, let's say, like, 11 years old or so. Um, It is absolutely, I don't want to take up too much more time on it because I want to leave some mystery for the book, but it doesn't stop there. It goes in all kinds of amazing places. This is high fantasy with high fantasy characters, monsters, and mystery, and just all kinds of crazy, crazy things happening. And it's from Clive Barker, one of the like godfathers of the genre. I mean, in, in my mm. estimation, uh, and it's presented by IDW, uh, came out a little while ago and it's only 1299. Uh, so let me ask you a question though. Yeah. Should people, if people don't know the story, should they be reading the novel first before they r- read this graphic novel? Honestly, no. Okay. No. Um, there's a few things in the novel that I don't think that they had time for. Like there are creatures that show up in the book uh, Clive Barker actually did all the art uh, for the original novel himself. So there's some really cool art to that if you want to check that out. Um, like one of the things is, is there's a character in this book named Blue Cat. And in the other in the novel version, there were three cats and they actually had speaking roles. They didn't bother with that in this, mm. but it's a very minor detail. Gotcha. Um, but it's weird. Like it 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 amazes me because I don't remember I don't remember anything. I don't remember when we when we're doing the show and we're reading books, I mean I I take away some stuff i take away some stuff from what we read but i feel like for every comic i read something else gets pushed out just Mm. because we're reading so much i mean over a hundred stories a month yeah something's gotta go yeah um but when i picked this up and i was reading it it was like i was transported you know over 20 years back and it hit every note and reminded me of why i love that story and why it stuck with me all these years like when i would talk to people about it oh what's your favorite book and i would give them the details and I, I would walk away from it in my head being like, oh, I hope that was right because it's been a while. And then I read this and I'm like, holy crap. Mm. Like, that's exactly what I've been telling people this entire time when anybody asks me, what's your favorite book? And that's exactly what it is. So uh, obviously it stayed with me all this time. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it really was the foundation. I had you know two things that really made me want to be a writer. And that was my seventh grade English teacher, Mr. Newcomb and Clive Barker's The Thief of Always. Uh, and it's just really, really super cool that the graphic novel version turned out to be like seriously just as good as the book. Awesome. Um, so thank you, Steph. You She's are not listening. welcome. I am listening. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Eating crumpets, sipping tea. Yeah. Damn straight. Planning your garden arrangements. She's, she's on the Downton Abbey message boards. Jeez. Yeah. You guys, we have a grief support group right now. <laughs> yeah. So. Really wow. Adults, young adults, kids of all ages, Clive Barker's Thief of Always from IDW. Look it up. Find it. It is absolutely wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. Um, So Thief of Always and The Fifth Beetle for year two. You got it. And uh, since we're keeping the order of the later, I'm Mm going to go next. Um, So my first book here we have uh, from IDW. It's Ragnarok, uh, art and writing by Walter Simonson and colors by Laura Martin, uh, letters by John Workman. Um, so 
And you know my, it's no good because who's heard of this Walt Simonson? I know. Person? Who knows? Who's this person? <laughs> This Walt Simonson doing Norse gods. It's just shocking. Isn't he the guy that did that one Incredible Hulk comic last year? Yeah, that one. It's the only thing he's ever done. Yeah. Is that one? He was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I wish he had more stuff. <laughs> um, uh, it's funny because like we talked about yeah. when that book came out, how I, how floored I was right by um, um, that art and how I wanted to go back and read the old Thor stuff, which of course I haven't done um, because like Steve said, we read like 100 things a month. Yeah. So Great FF run too. Yeah. So I'm, I, but this was awesome because it's new and it's on the shelf and it was right mm-hmm. in front of my face. So I, I picked it up, um, and I mean, first of all, the story is, it, you know, it is Walt Simonson doing a Thor story. It's just more rooted into Greek mythology than obviously the Marvel side of right. things. Um, but it deals in, it's funny because it deals in a lot of stuff that has been happening in the Thor story in the last couple of years. You know, the, with the end of the world and, and you know, the, the, this giant monster coming down to, to get them and everything, all that stuff. You know, the, the, the serpent was a big part a few years ago of, of the Thor story. Um, so uh, we're here. Now, Thor is, the begin, story, story begins with the, this giant serpent coming down and Thor fells the beast but in doing so thor perishes um and that's the that's the first three pages of the book um Mm. and and then we're we're introduced to a a a family of dark elves a husband and wife and a child and they're assassins um and the the mother is going out on a mission that is supposedly going to you know change their lives forever the the payout is so huge that it's going to change their lives forever but of course there's a lot of strings attached to Mm. to what that is because it's a story um and elves and elves yes um the art is absolutely stunning i mean it is unbelievable i mean we're talking about giant epic two-page spreads at times the you know i mean unbelievable details and 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 style to spare um and you know also really great in the in the small moments um the the beast design is just is just fantastic it's it's original and 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 it's it's cool and the landscapes and the colors are, are all wonderful um really really love uh you know the the main character i think that she she's got she's she's a badass she's smart um she's also a little bit you know devious so it, it's her name is Brin, brinja i think i'm saying that right <laughs> these norse names you brinja. Know, they're tough um i don't think the i don't think the j's are pronounced so i think it's probably brinna brinna All yeah right. because like freya is you wouldn't oh, that's put the j in so it would be it would be like a y very true so brinna look um, at the most you know, literate of us. <laughs> Did very well. You are the most Norse, though. Stephanie. <laughs> I. <laughs> you live furthest north. It's true. <laughs> um, but we've got this great stuff. We've got the, you know, the great crackle on the hammer that is very reminiscent of what, the, that work that we saw in Indestructible Hulk. Um, really special, big stuff. I, I, I think it's going to be a great, great adventure story. Um Bob, I don't know if you if you read it. I, I, I looked through it in the store. I'm going to end up buying this as a mm-hmm. novel because this is right. a, this is a mini, right? Uh, I'm not sure actually. Oh, see, I sure. thought it was a mini. It could be. It could be. I I I only know like 50 percent of the time if it's a mini or if okay. it's an ongoing series. But I feel see, like they don't tell us as much as they used to. If it says no. one of something on it, then I know. You can count on that. Yeah. <laughs> Walt draws great, great creatures and monsters. Mm. He's a I don't know if his signature is in there somewhere. But Walt Simonson's signature is a dinosaur, if you look at it. That's oh, really? amazing. He signs it as a dinosaur. <laughs> That's amazing. So it's pretty amazing. And just as with his Thor work, I heard him describe this on some interview on a documentary, 
where when he was doing Thor, he wanted it to look as if you touch the page, you'd get a splinter. Because mm-hmm. it should be all wood and leather and rocks mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And this book has that feel to it. You're in one of these pubs with Vikings and stuff going nice. on. It is, yeah. yeah, it's really got that old-timey feel to it. it does. It's just an amazing-looking book. Yeah, it really, really is. And, and there, there's a particularly great scene of... Um, you know, she comes into town, um, Brenna comes into town to recruit people for this mission that she's going on. This mission given to her by this dark, mysterious character um, who disappears <laughs> after they talk and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, like they do. And these people don't want to, they, they have a problem following, you know, a woman and, and there's a lot of grousing and stuff. Like, oh, man, she has to ki- kill somebody in order for them to, you know, basically <laughs> l- l- listen to her. It. Um, you know, and there, there's, <laughs> hey, a, there's shut a, up. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a line that what and the character comes along with them, but he is he comes along begrudgingly because uh, it was kind of her. Um, it was like her his brother that she killed, and so he's <laughs> you know he says like no no you know dark elf hellcat's gonna kill me, and the way that joke pays itself off is so clever and so great, and the way she reacts to it is is amazing. Um, really really great stuff. I mean, like you said, Bob, it, it has. Um, this really kind of old school vibe to it, and I could just stare at at, at the art all, all day, um, all day, all day. Yeah. Just quickly, I haven't read it yet, but I did look it up. It is an ongoing series. Okay, oh. there you go. So, um, good for Uncle Walt. Yeah, it's too bad he's 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 a not a nice man. <laughs> I missed him twice at New York Comic Con. I I can't tell you how many times I walked past this table. Either four hundred people there, <laughs> or he's not. Yeah, and it was wait a minute. Yeah, he's like the nicest person in the world. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian Verderosa. He wanted to meet him, um, and he was like a Brian was like a little kid when he met him, but he was just like the sweetest man in the world. He's, That's cool. Him and yeah. his wife are like the nicest people. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, I've told stories about them like a couple times, but I've interacted with them a couple times and. Like I said, like nobody ever, as an assistant, like nobody is required to remember me. I don't fault anyone for not remembering me. I'm there to help, you know, Bill. And mm. the second or third time I ever met them, he like went out of his way to come over to me and he's like, I don't remember your name. I hope you're not offended, but I do remember that you work with Bill and I wanted to say hi and just, you know, think that, didn't want you to think that I'd walk past you without saying hi. I remember And story. I was like, he was just the nicest, that he went out of his way to say hi to me even though like i wouldn't have been offended if he had not recognized (laughs) me but him and his wife are the nicest she is too and she's a very talented writer on her own uh, editor too at marvel but she created power pack Mm -hmm. no way yeah (laughs) she She is so she did some of the tie-ins for the death of superman stuff oh yeah yeah absolutely yes she did sweet yeah um, so Lots Ragnarok number one is something that you everybody should check out. I mean, whether in trade or in single issue, it, it's definitely worth a read. Um, and my second book is Batman number thirty three, which is the finale of Zero Year. I feel like it's been a while since we've yeah. Talked let's about let's ba- talk about this because Batman. I have I have con- conflicting Questions. emotions about this. Oh, I do yeah. know I have I have a big question. Um, so um, I read this book twice. The the first time I read it, and again this is a year long event. And unlike actually the other two big storylines that he's done. When this finale came up, I did not go back and read the the previous issues um, before I read it, and, and I I think that having not read the previous issues and then reading this, I, I think when the first time I read it, I was I wasn't underwhelmed, but I was like that was really good, and then I just kind of put it aside and I kept reading other things, um, and then I was like I want I want to be able to talk about it tonight on the show, and so I went back and read it again, and it was in that second reading that 
I discovered things about it that raised its level up for me very high and made me want to go back and read reread this the series again so I get all of the ins and outs because hmm. over a year it's tough to keep that kind of stuff <laughs> in your head yeah. you know um, the, a typical six month six month long arc is difficult enough to remember everything from beginning to end just forget about a year um, so but this again this is having reread the previous issue but this is having reread this issue. Uh, there are a few things in here which I think Snyder pulls off. Um, obviously, it's Scott Snyder as the writer, Greg Capullo um, is the penciler, uh, Danny Mickey is the inker, and FCO Pacienza is the colorist. Uh, the few things that he pulls off here that I think are are, are pretty special. Now he set off in doing this to, um, you know, define Batman's origin for the New Fifty Two. Um, you know, and it seemed like at first that he was hesitant to talk about the things that it was going to include. You know, he, he talked around year one when in fact the book addresses heavily moments that happen in year one. In fact, it recreates moments that happen in year one. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, and as I was reading it, I think I, I got lost on me, you know, that, that he was building up this kind of legend of Batman. And I was just almost as reading it as another Batman story. And I think a lot of the time, some of the things that happen are not things that would happen to a experienced Batman, so it, it's it's an it, I never I never was upset by them, but it was like that seems a little bit weird, or I you know this seems like a situation Batman's been in a hundred times, so what what's the problem? <laughs> but then you have to think of it as this is the first time he's ever been in that situation, and, and as I got to that point, I got to the finale, and the finale of this book of Zero Year is a big standoff between Batman and the Riddler. And what I found very interesting reading it the second time, because I wasn't thinking about this way the first time, was this is the moment where Bruce realizes that he can't just punch things hard, mm -hmm. you know, where he needs to be as smart as he is physically able. Um, and, and it's the really that kind of shapes that in him in, in, in Snyder's origin. And, you know, it, it, here he learns that balance between being brilliant and using that intellect that he has and also being obviously hugely physical. Um, and I thought that was very interesting because that's that's the basis of who Batman is in a lot of ways is the is the marriage of, of those two things. Well, then, so a great choice for having the Riddler yes. as this first villain, where somebody else would have just been a challenge to his physicality or thinking out of the box. Here is having to outthink someone who might even be smarter than he is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And there's this moment right where he even says to him, "He's like, it doesn't matter how hard you punch me. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, because you're not going to get the answer out of me mm -hmm. by punching me." Um, so. Um, so I mean, and there's other things too, right? So um, I, I I think that is very interesting to see the development and the origins, kind of of we've seen the origin of him and Alfred's relationship throughout the book, mm -hmm. um, and there's a, some very very touching stuff here at the end of the book with Alfred. Um, you know that again is it's this is the first time that he's really had to be the, 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 the field surgeon to Batman to help him out, and, and we get to see that first moment, and we also get to see how how smart Alfred is in his own right, you know, how, how good he is, is figuring things out. Um, we also hear, get, the thing about Snyder too, is that he pulls in obviously a lot of, of things here. There, there's a big, the central kind of framing device of this book is um, Bruce at the beginning is laying on a bed, younger Bruce about to get electroshock therapy. And you don't know why. Mm. Um, and when he comes out, why um which ties into the end of the book which i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get into that stuff um it's a very much a callback to stuff that's happened you know let's say in like morrison's run with r.i.p and there's also obviously the year one the miller stuff is obviously there there's obviously 
a, a big threat of like no man's land there because this is a, dealing with a Gotham that's overrun and, and cut off from the world. Um, I think it kind of gra- grabs all these huge influences, you know, the, the Denny O'Neill, the the Frank Miller, the Grant Morrison, all this stuff, and brings it in into, into this kind of new origin of the character, which I thought was really really great. Um, and there's a, there's a moment at the end, the very very end, where there's a fantasy sequence where um, a young woman wants to see Bruce and Alfred wants Bruce to see the young woman. And, you know, Bruce is like, I told you, like, this is not, this is not what I'm doing. I'm Batman. Like, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not going to go on a date with her or whatever, you know, and Alfred says, you can have a drink. And he's like, uh, you know, the, all, all that stuff. And then there's a mm-hmm. sequence there's a that, that you see what would happen if, if Bruce just talked to the girl. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking. You know, it's this heartbreaking moment. Um, but also at the end, exhilarating in, 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 in the same measure for what, you know, it's, it's, it's exhilarating for the same reason why it's heartbreaking. And, uh, it just speaks to an understanding and, and, uh, um, a depth of getting into the character that Snyder has for Batman. And obviously the way it looks is astounding. I mean, Mm -hmm. the color palette, how it's changed through this, this series and this, this, this storyline especially has been astounding. Um, and, you know, I think Capullo just gets better every single time he puts out an issue. I, I, I he just seems to be challenging himself and upping himself um, over. And I, I love, I just love the cover so much. Um, but yeah, Batman thirty three, I absolutely loved it. Steve, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't quite understand. I mean, I don't want to talk spoilers, uh, but I, I, I don't think I understood how the conflict resolved itself. Okay. I felt like I had missed, like like you said, you had to read it twice. Mm. I've only read it once. Mm. And I saw everybody's, you know, online, like, oh my God, amazing. Mm. And I read it and I'm like, I feel like, I, I mean, still amazing mm-hmm. and beautiful, but I I felt like I, as reader, had missed something vital. Right. Because like you said, I, I put it down and I was like, all right. Mm. I was like, so that was cool. But um, really loved the end parts, but didn't feel like the the conflict had resolved itself to a satisfying degree, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that if I go back and, like you said, read Zero Year from the beginning, that I'll just be completely wrong. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I have no, I have no problem being wrong about something like that. Um, I'm sure it's just something that I missed. But yeah. I just, I found it, like, I read the review on our site and, you know, talked to Justin and mm. just all of these things, and I didn't say anything to anybody, and now I'm telling everyone <laughs> that I was just kind of like, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> I, I, he outsmarted him, mm. but, but, like, I feel like I missed a page. <laughs> like, it was just, it was just over. So, I, that's, that's on me. Mm. Um, but I, I love the, the part that you were talking about at the end with kind of the fantasy sequence, and then you know, the result of that and how I, you know, I'm Batman. When I read that part, I could like hear the swell of the orchestra <laughs> and, you know, like the closing of the credits, like, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, oh my God, this was so good. So yeah, definitely something that I want to go back and revisit uh, maybe before the end of the year when we do our awards. I'll, yeah. let, it, I'll let it sit for a little while. Yeah, I mean, I, I, know, what, I know what you're saying about the res- resolution and yeah. if you go back and read the last two issues, yeah. you'll, you'll kind of see the... Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that... That first issue, when when Scott Snyder introduces his his Riddler and he's kind of making his way through the building, mm-hmm. and just how smooth and calculated he was, I mean, I was sold right from there. Mm-hmm. That was probably one of my favorite Batman issues of the whole run. Mm-hmm. Was that first one? It was so good. Now, would you say this ended 
any more satisfying way than the last. The two events were Court of Owls and, mm, yeah, and Death De- of the Family De- that the family. seemed to, I don't want to say fizzle out, but had odd false endings in a way where they ended and then epilogues and sort of almost undercut a little bit with this end on a big high note. You know, it's different because even though the Riddler is obviously the central foe that he is attacking at this point, the, 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 the zero year really hasn't been about one central problem, right? Okay. It's, it's been about something else. It's been about developing the character himself. And I think in that way, it probably is the most satisfying of the less issues. But hmm. I mean, uh, you know uh, the thing about I, I think the thing about the three the three separate uh, storylines is that I think Court of Owls was just so brilliant that there was no way to wrap it up which would have which would have felt sure. satisfying to me. I actually really like the end of Death of the Family quite a bit. Um, I, to me, that's the strongest as far as like just um, you know character like not character wise but uh, actual plot wise. It's my it's my favorite. But this is the strongest I think in, in character building. Um, and I'm I'm excited. You know, Endgame is obviously we're we're not we're not getting to it. I think until October, I believe, because we've got because he's got a uh, one off issue that's coming out, uh, a detective story, and then there's the September issue, which is you know not him. It's like uh, whatever their event, the five years yeah. later thing or whatever. And then when he comes back, then it's. He said it's, you know, new story, six issues. He said this one is different than the other ones because it's going to rope in DC Universe at large. Like, it's going to be, like, multiple characters and stuff mm. in it. So we'll see what happens with Ooh, that. But That's very different. I like the, yeah. the sound of that already. Yeah, changing it up. Um, no, it's not. It's Endgame. It's not his end. No, I don't know. I don't okay. so. No, no, it's not. He's, he hasn't said what his end is, but I don't think it's not coming up soon. Yeah, just Thank don't God. like hearing that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, he's doing a Comic-Con. He was on that panel with, it's telling, you know, it was Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill, Frank Miller, Grant Morrison, and Scott Snyder. That was the, that was the Batman wow. panel. Yeah. That's a pretty good lineup. Yeah. He said that he didn't, didn't talk most of the time. He just sat there like staring <laughs> at people. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's Batman 33. Um, Bob. What you got for okay, us? we will start with a number one issue, Storm Number One. Greg Pack, Victor Ibanez, colors by Ruth Redman, lettering Corey Pettit. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, I was reading some Storm with the Brian Wood X Men. Don't know what's going on in the regular books much, but this is a really great number one. I think it just opens in the middle of an action. Storm sort of hovering over the coast of Santa Marco with a giant tsunami on the way, and through a, a series of I guess she, they're not thought balloons, thought captions, and her conversations with Henry McCoy back at back at the base and back at the school, mm-hmm. and with her actions over the next couple of pages, a huge display of power in saving this village, you get a great look at Storm the Mutant superheroine, but an even better grasp of Aurora Monroe the human being in the pages that follow in the joy she has with mm-hmm. what she's doing and her interaction with the people in this little village is really, it's just really stunning. And, and, she gets back to the school and now they're dealing with other problems and she thinks it's the political problem she's created by going into this village because they're a, a country in political turmoil and it's it's really bad guys are taking over the country but they're fighting against the anti-mutant act and the X-Men are kind of on their side but then they can't be on their side personally because they're really creeps mm. really creeps and basically kick Storm out of the country she leaves unwillingly <laughs> at the very least back at the school though Marisol Guerra, uh, who is flourished, but the kids are calling her a creep. She and Storm get into this conversation, and she gives Storm some headache. The riot act. She mm. calls her a sellout, and well, you, you just listen to what they tell you to do, and you were supposed to be something special. And 
that gets under Storm's skin. She creates a little tornado in her room mm-hmm. and sort of storms out, pun intended. <laughs> and to work off her anger, flies back to where she just left. And I'll just leave it at there. This is a really, really satisfying book for me. You get so many angles on who Storm is. If all you've read, as I have, is just little snippets of her in the last 10 or 15 years, I know this character this way. Mm. I just knocked out by this. You know, with the artwork here, you know what she's feeling. The facial expressions are just absolutely brilliant. The action sequence is wonderful. Just so perfect. This, to me, was just a perfect number one issue and so far one of my favorite single issues of the year. Nice. Yeah, I loved it. I, I mean, mm-hmm. Greg Pak uh, uh, is fantastic. I think that um, it's unfortunate that I'm not reading Action Comics anymore because it's in that freaking doomed storyline. But yeah, uh, I had to drop it too. Uh, but I mean, he, right here, he just know he did, when he he's great, and he's he's sort of like I think Mark Wade in this way, where mm-hmm. he just gets the characters that he writes. You know, he, he knows their core. He knows how to write them. He knows how to balance the new and the old and, and, and exposition with action. And this, I was honestly like, I, I was, I, I wanted to read it, but it ended up being kind of low on my pull list. Like I kind of like, I got to it. And when I, and eventually I got to it, um, I was blown away by how much I liked it. Cause I expected to be like, okay, that's good, but I'm not going to get number two. That was, that was my brain yeah. before I read it. And then I read it. And I was like, well, I'm definitely gonna get number two. Cause yeah. this, this is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I personally kind of felt like, it didn't feel like a first issue of a series. It felt like a one shot to me. That was my major issue with it. Uh, I mean, it goes through the motions. It tells you who Storm is if somehow you don't know the character, which is cool. But for me, it didn't really build up a lot. You know, like it just kind of felt like at the end of it, she was going to be like, well, that's a day in the life of Storm. Bye. Like it just felt very, I don't know. Like it didn't have a place to go. Well, who knows? I mean, well, it's good. I, 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 I'm, I'm not saying it was bad. Like I yeah. liked it. I just, you know, it didn't make me want to read the second issue at all. Okay, like, that's all. Don't they? Don't they hint at something at the very end of their like their? She's off to go and and deal with something by the end of the book. It's just a vague. Yeah, I don't know okay. where this. I don't know where this will take. Going on X Men. Dentures. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, like Stephanie's saying, I, I agree that I don't, I don't agree that it felt like a one shot, but it was very much an introduction to the character. Mm. But I almost felt like that was kind of necessary because I've been reading a lot of books throughout the last like two years or so with Storm as a character. She's now at the school with everybody and she's the new headmistress and stuff like that. But Storm over the past two years, I mean, maybe with the exception of the Brian Wood book that I'm no longer reading, but in the beginning she was kind of there to kick ass, but she's kind of become like the wet blanket, um, like mom character with like the wagging finger of the, of the mutants in, in the past couple of years. And this was really cool to kind of see her be, called out on that by one of her own students and be like, you know, nobody likes you anymore. You know, like you've got, you've got these powers and you think you're a big deal and, you know, we're up and coming mutants and, you know, nobody really cares anymore. And she, it gets on, like Bob said, on her skin and she's kind of, she's got something to prove, but she proves it to herself, you know, yeah, kind of get, getting back to 
why she is who she is. That's what I think the story is going to be is, is Storm's kind of like her rise back to power and to being an important person and not being that, you know, nagging character anymore. My problem is that like, okay, so we're talking about, you know, how there's a lot of characters that they're putting into the spotlight and mm. they're not necessarily characters that a couple of years ago would have been put into the spotlight, but they're taking a chance with these books now. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this felt like it should have been a zero issue to me. You want to draw the reader back in like with something like bigger than this. Um, you know, black widow, the way that the first issue ended, I knew I had to read the second issue. Like, I knew I had to figure find out what was going to happen to Natasha. And this, oh, sorry, this doesn't make me feel that way. This just, it's not bad. It's good. It's just, I'll wait until the trade, which is not what you want when you're putting one of these characters out there like that. And I realized you guys didn't see this this way, and that's fine. But like for me, you know, to draw me back in when so many other books are on my pull list, I need to feel compelled like that the story is worth reading. And right now it's really a crapshoot as to whether the next issue is going to be any good or not. Cause I don't have a single clue what that's going to be. So your issue is more with the fact that you need more than just liking of the character. To, but the thing to... is, I don't really like the character to begin with that much. Okay. So, you know, I took a risk on this book because I wanted the story to be there and to compel me. And it didn't. So, okay. so that I mean, that's was, good. That's good backup information to know that you don't really like the character I, of Storm. So that's good to know. I mean, I, I liked her in like X Men the animated series and stuff, but over the years, like Steve said, she has become a bit of a wet blanket, and she's especially in like Brian Wood's X Men books, she was like insufferable. Just her and all the other women fighting it out and bitching about who's going to lead the team and blah 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 blah. And I don't know, she wasn't catty or anything in this book, and she was Storm, but just. Storm without a purpose. I disagree entirely, and I'll just say this. The, it was not a perfect storm. The, the, <laughs> the, the, I don't think the first Black Widow issue, which I did like, ended any differently than this did, mm. in that there was a vague hint of something else going to happen, but it was a standalone, self-contained, mm. well, let's tell this story, and there'll be another one kind of like this. So it's, that's about trusting the creator mm. to do something else. I think what they attempted here, just as everyone is saying at a certain level, there have been so many versions of Storm over the last few years, including the the Brian Wood thing went badly fairly quickly. Within the first few issues, it started to turn into that arguing at every minute. This is a Storm who is in control but questioning that control as she's brought up short by someone who says, well, yeah, but that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, She needs to reclaim that humanity, and she does it through her good works across a lot of different playing fields here. And so what I think what you're trying to do is reintroduce this character in a more pure form that hasn't been seen in a while. So it's a little jarring. And I trust this creator. I trust Greg Pak to do mm. a second issue that may start that other story. If this had been a continued next issue, it'll change storm forever. <laughs> if there had ended this way, we'd, we'd all be screaming too. Okay. Be, but it's not, you know I hate that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it'll change the universe forever. That's not what I'm saying at all. You know, I know that. But it, it's also not meant to be the first chapter in a 14-book. you got to buy every single one to get it. This is, a, I thought, a really solid story. 
bringing this character back into the forefront in a really positive way that she hasn't been seen in a while. Yeah. All right. So you guys can disagree. Guys, don't have to be, don't have to be like you, somebody won. No. <laughs> I'm kidding around. <laughs> Having fun. But I love that she has different voices. She has her sort of aggravated talk with Hank over here and then tries to be teacher lady, mm-hmm. which doesn't work, and then tries to be hard case a little when she goes back on her mission. It is productive to have different opinions yes. about books. That's what I was saying. On a show. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Quite. All right. What do you got next, Bob? Well, before we do this one, I, I need to bring out my Necronomicon so we're protected because it's just really, really <laughs> awesome. Um, we'll have Steve read from it later just to make sure we're safe. Nice. My book of the week is Afterlife with Archie number six. Roberto Aguirre, Sacasa, Francesco Francavilla, letter is by Jack Morelli. I mean, I was saying the other one's one of my favorite single issues. This, I think, is my favorite single issue so far this year. Oh, this book was outstanding. Yeah. So uh, good. It's from a sort of a throwaway moment in the first issue of Afterlife with Archie, where Sabrina Spellman sets all that bad stuff in motion to try to say, well, is it a spoiler to say what it is she did no, then? She, no, she okay. brought Hot Dog back to life. Right, using the, using the Necronomicon, <laughs> yeah. which is never a good thing to do. Uh, her aunts in that threw her into some sort of limbo. Mm-hmm. But here we see her, she's in a, a mental hospital where her aunts have apparently put her in there to get help. Mm-hmm. It is never a good thing in one of these sort of stories when you're in a mental institution and your doctor is named Lovecraft and he looks exactly like H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. That it's, you're not going to get conventional treatment is all I'm going to say. <laughs> what, what you have here is just uh, tons and tons. I, I, this is a book we could spoil like mm-hmm. mad and I don't want it. There's so many great little pleasures here. But Careful. Yes, I'm going to think- try to be very careful. Go ahead, Steph. No, I don't think there's a lot. I mean, there's stuff to spoil, obviously, but I think a lot of it is visual. Like, you can't really spoil a lot of the, like, intimate moments that you have with the art because uh, Frank Avella does a lot of the storytelling here, even, mm-hmm. I think, a little bit more so than, um, sorry, Roberto. Is it Roberto? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think that he tells a lot more of the story in this particular instance of the book. Yes, but <laughs> in some ways, but there are, in terms of the story itself, for, for people who read Lovecraftian fiction, there are tons of little nods to the other works. The other doctor, for instance, being named Dr. Machen, who is a, one of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, prime influences with a writer named Arthur Machen, who wrote horror stories back in the 1890s. So to have a doctor with that name show up here, some of the characters are from other Lovecraft stories. So it's little bits and pieces of these sort of things. But it's it's the moods, it's the odd dreams and weird places and what's being pulled together here. She goes to group, which is hysterical. <laughs> I mean, there is some humor in all this, but it is a really, really scary book with just a tremendous, tremendous ending that'll just bring you up short. The art, just, just amazing, of mm, course, because yeah. it's Francesca. <laughs> But just a great story. Go ahead, Steve. No, I I mean I, I wrote the review for it on on Talking Comics. I I love Afterlife with Archie, but this was by far and away the best issue of the series so far, in my opinion. I mean, definitely so far going on my single issues of the year list at the end. I just loved it to pieces. I was like jumping with joy at just like when I saw all of the 
Lovecraftian themes and just the way that they tied it together, remembering what happens at the beginning of mm-hmm. Afterlife with Archie and that this was a part of the plan the whole time. And considering that the Sabrina book is coming out in October, what an incredible way to, you know, get you reacquainted with the character and to put a new spin on her and kind of give her a new purpose and a, a new future and, and and to make her something more than what she already is. Cause I was already excited to, cause I know her from the TV show and just from Archie and she's just, she's a character. I think that's a lot of fun. And now you're taking her and you're just, you're making her into, into so much more than that and adding another level to an already amazing character. I mean, New writers do stuff with characters that have been around for a long time, all the time. Hopefully everybody has their own stamp on characters. But this was, like, you could not ignore the level of of awesomeness yeah. that was going on. The, the artwork is beautiful. And I loved the kind of dreamy psychiatric hospital setting and all the little nods to the, to the Lovecraftian things that I've learned from you over the years that we've been friends and I mean, the whole time that I'm reading it, I'm like, this is going to be Bob's book of the year, book of the week. And sure enough, I go look at the emails and I'm like, curses, Bob. Because if, if, if I hadn't read what I read before, single issue wise, this was the best book on the shelves last week. Uh, and I agree with Stephanie about the art, how the art tells its own story. And I mean, just blowing the lid off of this series and bringing it to new heights in every way possible. Um, I am I am wanting to get back to the uh, the Archie stuff in Riverdale, but I mean a hell of a way to take a departure <laughs> yeah. from that. And I mean some of these some of these pages are just well the last the last page is unbelievable. They're terrifying. Yeah. The, the last page is like one of the most unbelievable pages of comic books yeah. I've ever seen. I want yeah. I want to hang on the wall. Yeah, it's, I, it's, Stephanie. What did you think? I know how much you love Sabrina. Yeah, like you know this is probably one of my earliest characters that like i just fell in love with because you know in archie the backup stories they had like josie and the pussycats and they had sabrina so before even the tv show came around i loved sabrina in the archie comics like loved her Mm -hmm. and um then the tgif show came and i watched that religiously melissa (laughs) joan hart was like my hero forever i had like posters up in my room and like good loved it and you know so when I think, you know, when we talked about the first issue of this book, I expressed how excited I was that Sabrina was in this. And like, you know, I was like, I knew I love this book. <laughs> and this, oh my God, I loved this so much. I like immediately tweeted like Francesco because I need like original pages from this or something. <laughs> I love it. And um, honestly, they had the preview for the Sabrina um, ongoing in the back of this. Mm-hmm. And I was a little bit disappointed to be, you know, if if I'm speaking frankly, because I, I want them to go back to Riverdale, but I kind of want this story that's being told here. <laughs> yeah, to how be, do you follow this? Yeah. yeah, I want this story to be the one that's carrying on into the ongoing. You know, I kind of was hoping that this, in a way, you know, it was a it was a in between issue of what's going on uh, with our friends, you know, back in the real world. And, but I was hoping that it was like the spinoff point and this was going to be, you know, Sabrina in, what is it, the, uh, the in-between, like the limbo? Yeah, limbo, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted this to be what, you know, her story was. And there's nothing wrong with the Sabrina pr- 
preview, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, but it's definitely not what I thought it would be. Yeah, I think it's funny because it's it's simultaneously the perfect issue to put the preview in the back of, and probably the absolute worst one to put in the back of. Yeah, because you go up, you read this amazing story with this unbelievable art, and then you go and you read the preview for the new Sabrina, and you want it, you want it to be what you were just reading, and it's not. It's something totally different. And I think that what I read in that preview seems like it could be something very interesting and very special in its own way. Um, you know, a very kind of, I don't know, it feels very 70s mm-hmm. horror to me. It feels yes, creepy, eerie. Yeah. That period. Yeah, the Warren stuff. You know, um, but uh, the issue, I mean, I put this issue down and much like Steve was saying, like, I, I was like, Bob probably has a huge smile on his face right now. Like, like <laughs> oh, yeah. Reading oh, yeah. this book. And I mean, we've been being the drum for Adelaide with Archie since the first issue back when, you know, it was coming out. And before the first issue came out, we, I think we all kind of thought it was going to be a joke. You know, a probably a, it was gonna look beautiful because it was Francesco Francavilla, but it was gonna be like tongue in cheek, like oh, what if zombies were in Riverdale? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then <laughs> reading it, you're like, wow, this is not tongue in cheek at all. This is dead serious about the events and these characters mm-hmm. that's going on, and it's been great its whole run, and then to top off that with this, which I mean takes it in a whole other direction, obviously goes into a different sect of horror, but you know, it's a character that. I, you know, I honestly, for so, uh, until a few years ago, I didn't know that Sabrina the Teenage Witch was an Archie character. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just knew it from the TV show, you know? So, so basically, I'm being introduced to a character that I don't really know, except in name, and liking her immediately. Um, there's some panels in here that are just terrifying. Like, they're just plain terrifying. It's not, there's no, yeah. there's no qualifiers about it. They're just terrifying. And some of them are little panels. Yeah. Th- yes. A, yes. A glance behind it. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. There's some great stuff here. I mean, uh, you know, amazing work. It, and, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit last week. I forgot what we were talking about a book not having like A plus creators on it and what happens that book needs a chance to do that. This is what happens when you take. A plus creators and you put them on something that you wouldn't expect them to be on. They, they, they turn out something like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, this is a book that if you like horror, if you like comic books, if you like looking at beautiful things, like this is a book that you need to be reading. It's amazing. Yeah. And if you don't know the characters, it is still a great story. Yeah. If you came to this yeah. dead cold, mm-hmm. you'd be fine. I wasn't going to pick this up. My local comic, I said, you're going to want this. Mm-hmm. I went, why am I going to want this? And he oh, just opened it to the front page with a, <laughs> with a quote from, from The Call of Cthulhu. In his house at Relier, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming with some tentacles on it. <laughs> it's like, okay, so yeah, you, you got me. You, yeah. you got me at Cthulhu, okay? <laughs> but the idea that sabrina the teenage witch and cosmic dread can be in the same book is mind-blowing <laughs> yeah and yet it is and it works perfectly it's like i said it's it's bringing the afterlife with archie series to another level yeah. it's taking it and you know it was cool enough when it was you know oh this reminds me of night of the living dead and this reminds me of this and that now you have something that's steeped in an entire other like a whole other culture and a a, a whole other avenue mm-hmm. uh, you know like uh, there's there's this i mean bob's a part of it he's he's a part of that world you know he's got all the books and stuff that he's uh, been reading for years and I years have my 1970 paperback of hp lovecraft's the dunwich horror which is the first yeah. lovecraft book i ever bought have it with me here 
it's just they I keep us safe. You never I think know it's, who's outside. Yeah, I think it's wild stuff and, and super super exciting for the series. I'm I'm hoping that maybe going forward, like issues six and I mean seven and eight and whatever. Like I want to go back to Riverdale and I want to know what's going on and where they're going to be moving next and you know who of the group is still around. But at the same time, I want this Lovecraftian stuff to start to leak into the Riverdale situation mm-hmm. and for it to not just be about zombies anymore, but like you know cracks and fissures opening up in the middle of the streets and things start coming up from the depths and you know tentacles, uh, you know eating the school and dragging it down to the ninth level of hell and. All of that stuff is possible now. Mm-hmm. Hey, so one, you're right. Once she's opened up the dread book of the man Arab Abdul Alhazred, <laughs> bad things are going to happen. Yeah. And so forget Riverdale. She needs to go to Miskatonic University. She I needs wonder, to go to Arkham or something. Oops, sorry. I wonder no. if um, these will be the in-between issues between the arcs, like the Sabrina story, because oh, the next yeah. one, uh, Afterlife with Archie number seven, does go back to Riverdale. Uh-huh. So we don't get more of the Sabrina story. So I, I bet you that this story is going to fill in the blanks on what's going on from Sabrina's perspective in between the major arcs. Yeah, he said in the, in the letter in the back, he says that if you know people have been asking to hear what happened to her, and if you like this and you want to hear more, make sure you let them know because then they'll do more of them. I got to write an email. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They have a Every- Twitter actually. I think it's just oh. uh, Afterlife Archie. Yeah, I think so too. Mm. Yeah, um, amazing, amazing stuff. Um, Afterlife with Archie. Number six. One of the best issues of the year. Um, Hands down. All right, guys. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about some San Diego Comic-Con news. We are back, and we're here to talk about San Diego Comic-Con, a little show that happened this past weekend. Little show. Little show that happened in California. Um, obviously, the biggest convention of the year, um, and we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. We're going we're gonna to focus first on the comic book announcements, and then we're going to talk some about movie stuff as well uh, near the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we each kind of picked a couple stories to, to talk about. Um, Bob, why don't you lead us off? What was one of the stories you wanted to talk about? Well, to me, my favorite announcement uh, on the comic book side is a Spider-Woman solo series. Mm. Oh, yeah. Dennis Hopeless, who I don't think I've read anything from. You guys have, right? He's, I've read yeah. a few things. He's he's doing like kind of, he did the Avengers Arena book. He's doing mm-hmm. Avengers on our cover right now. He did one of the, un- the X-Force books. I think he did Uncanny X-Force? Yes. I think so, right? Yes. Or Cable and X-Force. I don't remember which one was him. Cable and X-Force. Cable and X-Force okay. was him. Okay. And it apparently jumps off of this Spider-Verse event that's coming, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it teams her with Silk. Hell yeah. Who, she's trying to save her life, but she annoys her so much, she has to do it without killing her. (laughs) Because Silk is kind of new at this, and sort of all enthusiastic, and Jessica Drew has been a little bit of everything over the years, and doesn't need to hear crap from some kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Silk has kind of been, you know, in captivity for... X amount of time, and she's ready uh, to get out there and, and web it right. up. Now, the thing is, uh, the way I was reading the solicit, and as well as what I know about Spider Woman, she has some of that in her past too. 
mm-hmm. depending on what origin is the true one. She's mm-hmm. had a couple of false ones thrown in her head <laughs> over the years. But she was basically held captive by Hydra and mm-hmm. experimented on and all sorts of bad things. So mm-hmm. they do relate. So it sounds like it's a neat little pairing. Yeah. And it could certainly work. Greg Land, I know some people have some problems with him. <laughs> but I think he, this sort of book, I think he could really knock out of the park. And, and Jess has got such a great history that, you know, she was done to such great effect in Assemble mm-hmm. that I, I think the time is absolutely right that people will, will jump on this. And hopefully the the event itself will give it, the Spider-Verse event, will push things forward to people taking a look at this. I'm, I think the sky's the limit possibly here. This could really be a fun book. Yeah, I mean, the Spider-Verse event itself I think is going to be pretty exciting. I like what they're going to do with it. Um you know, Spider Woman is is a character who I very much liked in the books that I've read her in, and I re- really enjoyed the Bendis um, Luna Bros yeah. uh, re- uh, origin, which is that is the origin. Right. You know, um, and I really enjoyed that a lot. So I'm looking forward to this. You know, Dennis Hopeless is a writer that I never, uh, I I just didn't connect with. So I the the creative team itself doesn't really excite me because we I know my feelings on Greg Land, right, but yeah. um, I do think the character is, is quite awesome. So I, I'm looking forward to see what happens with that series. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, I I'm hoping I'm glad to see that Silk is going to get more exposure than just being a part of the amazing book going on right now. Uh, I'm in the same boat with Bobby where. I think if it was a different creative team, I would have more faith in it and I would be a little bit more excited. Um, I definitely want to love it because I'm really digging the Silk character and I already have you know, a built-in love for Spider-Woman. So with all hope, it'll be really you know, awesome and, and another female-led book to from Marvel to go and pick up. Um, but I'm going to have to try an issue or two first before mm-hmm. I before I believe it. Probably I'm in the same boat. I have the original Spider Woman series from way way back. Mm-hmm. Those old Marvel spotlights and everything else, and then that was the the very weird thing of seeing Carmine Infantino, the Flash artist, drawing for Marvel. Mm-hmm. For all those people who you know, Kirby drawing at DC was was weird. So was seeing Infantino drawing Spider Woman, but it was a horror book back then. She was sort of a horror private eye. She's been an agent of. Shield, Hydra, and Sword. <laughs> right, let's just, that's some resume. You put mm. that at the Labor Department and see what, what job <laughs> they can manage. Stephanie, what do you think about a Spider-Woman book? I think it's awesome. I haven't read much of the character outside of um, the Agent of Sword. Mm-hmm. Is that what you just said? Mm-hmm. Um, book, but I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm all for this. I'm all for more lady books and especially when they're really cool characters so yeah awesome mm-hmm. um all right you know, eloquently put very very yes, uh, eloquent, yes. um Stephanie, <laughs> what uh give us uh, some comic book news that you're excited about all right so my favorite comic book news i think coming out of this will come as no shock to anybody who was following the comic book news but idw uh, announced an orphan black comic um no creative team announced yet but the press release said it will not be a clone of the show, but Ha-ha. will feature an, feature all new stories set in the complex and thrilling world of Orphan Black. Um, and apparently IDW is working closely with the show's producers to make it awesome. And I think they implied that some of the things that happen in season two, maybe like the character of Tony and such, would be explored more in this. Ooh. I know, and I woke up to like the press release in my inbox from like IDW, and then like a couple friends were like, "Steph, did you see the news?" I was like, "Yes." 
<laughs> and I'm not really big into like tie-in things, um, but I am interested to see because like I'm really I'm really invested in this world, um, and I'd be interested to see what stories they you know are wanting to tell because I don't think they could really go into much of Sarah Manning's story because that's the main focus in the show. So I, I don't know who they'd focus it on, but I would like to see. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. S- Steve, give me some uh, comic book news you're excited about. Well, my favorite comic book news from San Diego Comic-Con is that Angela, Assassin of Asgard, is coming out, written by Kieran Gillen, Marguerite Bennett, with art from Phil Jimenez and Stephanie Hans. Wow. Boom. Yeah. Holy. When, what did I say when we were, you asked us, you know, if, uh, so we got a listener question, you know, who's your favorite artist right now? And my answer was Stephanie Hans. Mm-hmm. So this is your chance. If you haven't seen her beautiful journey into mystery covers, if you didn't catch uh, fearless defenders, number seven, which she did do the interior art. If you want to get a taste of what she can do with interiors, uh, go and check that book out. She is a rising talent. That is uh just a phenomenal i can't wait to see this book um and you can also catch an interview with her uh from our comic-con coverage of 2013 comic-con so um but yeah i mean oh my god angela assassin of asgard with kieran gillen and marguerite bennett together writing it um that just has amazing written all over it and Phil Jimenez did a huge, great run on Wonder Woman. He mm. is an amazing artist in his own right. Is he yeah. doing there covers or they sharing interiors or what's the... Uh, I believe they're sharing responsibilities okay. uh, for art. Yeah. So, I, I mean, this These is... the ones that fill in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is a powerhouse team uh, These between these four, these four creators yeah. uh, for this book. I could not... I mean, you, you couldn't have pitched this to me better. I mean, I would have read it anyway because mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying the Angela character. But I mean, Kieran Gillen, who knows that universe probably better than anybody right now, and Stephanie Hans, Phil Jimenez, and and Marguerite Bennett, who did a great job with the Lois yeah. one shot. Uh, that's a star power team right there. I can't wait to read this book. Yeah, I, you know, with, with that's that when that team is announced. Well, first of all, speaks to me is one. I don't think. I mean, I could be wrong about this. I would assume that Kieran Gillen is probably working story. With Marguerite Bennett, Marguerite Bennett is probably doing mm-hmm. the like the actual scripting of the series. That's what that that, that says to me. Um, but again, awesome! I love that Angela is getting her own series. <clears throat> um, the our team is you know, uh, Seventy Hans I only know from really covers in that one issue of Fearless Defenders. Phil Jimenez is a, a legend. He's an unbelievable, unbelievable artist, and the fact that. Drawing a character, you know, who has some similarities to one Roman in, in, in ways, I think it's going to be unbelievable to see the way he, um, he, you know, he fashions that character. Um, Stephanie, are you excited about this one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, duh. Is that all? I, that's you that's know the pull quote I don't right know there. if I'm excited about, like, the assassin aspect of it, but I mean, I mean whatever. I'm mm-hmm. interested to see what they do with it, so. Mm-hmm. Look, Asgard has enemies. Someone's got to take them out. Someone's got to take out the trash. That's, that's going to be the slogan of the book. <laughs> <laughs> the Asgardian trash. Mm-hmm. Taking it out. Um, all right, so um, it's inter- it was an interesting year because I, I feel in a lot of ways like there was more to talk about on the comic side of things this year than there was really movie stuff uh, to talk about. I feel like the the big the two big Marvel DC panels didn't really 
announce anything nope. big. Um, we're going to talk about, obviously, the Wonder Woman uh, image in a little while, because um, I think it was the number one thing people want us to talk about. Specifically, they wanted Bob to talk about was the <laughs> Wonder Woman outfit. So we will definitely, definitely get to that. Don't worry about that, guys. Um, and we're going to get the image. This wasn't on any of our list, but a lot of listeners wanted us to run down the Image Expo announcements. So we'll do that uh, as well. But for me, um, the, 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 the stories that I really came up with, Number one for me, um, well, I guess number, there's no really order to them, but uh, the Comixology story um, about mm-hmm. them going DRM free um, for, you know, obviously not all publishers. It's sort of. Um, the big two are not included in, 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 in the DRM free section. I, that probably has a lot more to do with Marvel and DC than it has to do with um, uh, 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 Comixology, but being able to now download um, backup copies of your of your comics that can be read on other devices and other places in other software um, is a game changer for a, a company like Amazon and a company like Comixology, which is the biggest digital comics retailer out there. Um, obviously, places like Image have been doing it already. They have been giving DRM free copies of their books if you buy them directly from them uh, for I think over a year now. Uh, but the fact that now the place where you buy or people buy most of their comics online is now going to allow them to actually have some sort of ownership over those books, I, I think is huge. Um, Stephanie, you wrote an article not that long ago about going digital. Um, what, do you, what do you think about this news? I mean, for me, it doesn't really affect uh, what I do with my comics. I think it's a lot easier for other people to get into it in terms of you know being able to kind of lend out your things mm-hmm. and be like, here, try this. Uh, personally, I, I don't have like a lot of friends that don't read com- I mean I have a few and they don't read comics and the rest of them kind of just read their own things anyway so I don't have that need to share them so it doesn't affect me at all but I think it's kind of it's an interesting step forward or backward I don't know I well don't know it certainly it does affect you because I think that you if, if comicsology let's say went out of business if Amazon shuttered comicsology and their service went offline you would have mm-hmm. lost every single book that you had bought on comicsology because there is no way to read them anywhere but Comixology. And, That's true. And now they belong to you, which is the big difference. Um, and I think it's but a, does that backtrack to like the things you've already purchased? That I don't know. That I don't know. I, um, I don't think they, they talked about that very much. But I, I think that um, like that is that's a big deal because you know there's been a lot of stories lately about you know what happens to your digital collections when you die. Like it's your iTunes library. What happens when you die? And you can't gift it. You can't. You can't donate it. You can't. You can't pass it on. It's just gone. It, 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 it the rights belong to you and only you. And if you die, all that music you you bought, you can't give it to your kid. It's just done. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, you know this is a, this is a big step, I, I think, in, in a way. And I think it will alleviate a lot of people's uh, uh, a section of people's misgivings about buying books digitally. What is DRM specifically? Digital rights management. Oh, okay. Uh, it's based- somehow knew the D was digital, but yeah. the rest of it was lost because they sent me an email. Yeah. It's what locks, <laughs> it's basically why, you know, why if you, you can only read Comixology books on Comixology. You couldn't download it to your computer and read it on a third-party comic reading app because it's just not possible. Now you can do that. Now you can read it. You can take it from your iPad to your computer to, you know, whatever. You can And you can pass it, like Stephanie said, you can, you can share it as well. But I think the fact that you, have a, you can now have a, kil- a collection that you have control over, that as long as you have a copy of it saved somewhere, they can't just take it away from you. Because I think that's a lot of what people are worried about, right, is that 
you know, and of course you would think that if Comixology ever did get shuttered, that they would have they, they would have implemented this at some point to alleviate people. But there's no guarantee of that. Right. So I, I think that was a, that was pretty big news. Obviously, it's much bigger news or bigger news when everybody's on board with it and it's it's industry wide standard. But this is a great start, I yeah. think, to, to well, that monkey brain image. <laughs> um, I think Boom was on there. I don't remember all the publishers. Um, I mean, obviously, Image being on there is huge. That's the third biggest publisher yeah. out there, and, and uh, um, I think that would be a big help. But we'll see what happens with all that. But I, 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 it was one of the new pieces of news I was most impressed with coming out of uh, of the con. What are you giggling about? <laughs> Before, when you mentioned the whole you can't pass your iTunes thing, yeah. I just, I, I've got this mental image of somebody on their deathbed and being like, I want you to have my iTunes account. And be like, okay, Grandpa, what's the password? The password is. Uh, he just dies. No! And it's all gone. Sorry. It's gone anyway. Yeah. Um, what, the, the instant you die, your iTunes account? No, I just. No, but you can't, you can't gift, you can't like, like if I, if I was like, oh, I own this music. And I want—I don't want it anymore. Even if I didn't want the rights to use it anymore, I want to give them to you. I could I, not. There's no nothing in place for me to do that. So like you know, I couldn't leave it in my will. I couldn't be like I have like look. Okay, you might you might spend thirty years collecting music. You might have you know you know twenty thousand dollars worth of, of music, if not more. And then it just mm-hmm. is gone. Rights can't be assigned. Right, can't be assigned. Oh, uh, reassigned. Crummy. Yeah. Uh, as of now, I mean, we're living in a whole new world, right? There hasn't been that situation yet, which has brought it to yeah, life. No one's died yet. Too yeah. um, <laughs> <Sure> new. <laughs> but uh, Bob, what else you got for us, comic book wise? Captain America and the Mighty Avengers mm-hmm. is the new relaunch. I was so concerned that Mighty Avengers had been canceled. So the the Ryer curse. <laughs> it's been a pushed off. It's been pushed off for a bit. Staved away. Still Al Ewing, but now it's Luke Ross who did some Green Lantern, a couple of Spidey issues, very much in the same painterly vein as Greg Land. Okay. So we're in this. The book is going to look, I think, reasonably the same. Now, the first arc, apparently, as the original Mighty Avengers tied in with the events of Infinity, this is part of Axis, or at least we jump off from that. Mm. The first few issues will be part of that. And the Peter Parker Spidey rejoins. Ooh. To try to make up for some of what Otto did wrong, particularly to Luke and Jessica. That's cool. Because you want to remember, Otto got his clock cleaned. Yeah. Badly. <laughs> for threatening the baby, which just is just not a really good thing. Now, uh, Al Ewing is saying that uh, he sees Captain America as the biggest superheroic office in the land. He's sort of bigger than the president. And so it's, it's, this cap is Sam Wilson. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who had... An interesting back and forth with Luke early on, you know. So it, that is going to play itself out here too, as they have to come come to some agreement as to what this team means, because they thought of Sam really as Cap Spy on the team. Oh yeah, he just sent you over here to make sure we're not ruining the name or something, right? <laughs> so we're, we're going to go for that, and so it is, sounds really interesting, and. W- way he was describing an interview is that one of the founding members won't be here at the end of this first arc. Hmm. But you're going to see all the people who were there here again. You're going to tie up this first arc with the Death Walkers, hmm. the Big Bang, and then move into this. So, yeah, I, I've i gotten a reprieve. It's sort of like the governor has you know, sent that phone message while I've been sitting in the electric chair with this one. But we've been... <laughs> Got off the mat one time, so new evidence has been brought to the yeah. to the board. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to this one a lot. Mighty Avengers is my favorite Avengers book by far. 
Nice. Just a super, super book. Yeah, I, um, I'll actually read it now because it's not Greg Land doing the art on yeah. it. Um, I like Gross. I think he's a good artist. Uh, and I, I've been really loving Al Ewing's work on Loki, Agent of Asgard. So I'm, I, I'm excited about this book. I, I think it's cool. I mean, I'm also not reading any other Avengers books anymore. So wow. it'll be one in the in the one feather in my cap. I just started reading regular Jonathan Heckman's Avengers once again. Oh yeah, starting with the original Sin stuff when when Cap finds out that he was kind of mm-hmm. bamboozled. Yeah, and uh, that. That one issue, like it, it totally got me back into. It was a great refresher. It had everything that I needed to remember from the previous stuff in there. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. I don't know, um, but it was you know time runs out yeah. soon. Yeah, so it's going to change the universe forever. I got a press release. <laughs> TikTok. From, I got a press release from the other day that literally started with that sentence. Yeah. In a world, and I was just, I was yeah. just like <laughs> laughing about it. Beverly, have you seen that movie yet? What in, in a world? world? No, I oh, you got to see that movie. It's hysterical. <laughs> um, all right, so. A couple of our listeners on, on Facebook wanted to know about um, the Image Comics announcements. Um, and this will actually tie into one of your stories, Steve, that you were going to talk about. Yep. Because it's one of the books that was announced. Um, so Image Expo happened the first day of San Diego Comic-Con, and um, they announced 12 new books. Um, Damn. Uh, and I'm going to run them down really quick, and then we'll just kind of discuss in general what we thought. And Steve will go into detail about one of them, which he's very excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Valhalla Mad by Joe Casey and Paul Mayberry about Norse gods partying in Manhattan begins spring 2015. Tooth and Claw by Kurt Busick, Ben Dewey, and Jordi Belair described as Conan meets Game of Thrones meets Commandy. The high fantasy <laughs> epic begins November 2014. Uh, Tokyo Ghost by Rick Remender and Sean Murphy and Matt Hollingsworth on colors. Whoa. In 2189, the world is a wasteland and entertainment is the drug that everyone needs and the mob has coming summer 2015. That's the one I'm most excited about. Um, the Humans by Keenan Marshall Keller, Tom Neely, and Christina Colantes, an ape biker gang, 70s exploitation style, no no typos there, starts November 2014. Um, I'm going to skip over the one that you're going to talk about, talk about that one last. Okay. Uh, Rumble by John Arcudi and James Heron, described as like a scarecrow Conan, like a scarecrow Conan fighting in a Louis C.K. show directed by David Fincher. Um, the creators <laughs> okay. promise a genre bender with heaps of strange. Uh, begins in December. Invisible Republic by Gabriel Hardman and uh, Corinna Becco, a sci-fi action adventure about the rise of an empire coming in 2015. Um, also was announced was Hardman's digital-only series, Kinski. will be coming to print in November. Uh, Intersect by Ray Fox, a horror story about a city gone mad, launching in November. Injection by Warren Ellis and Declan Shelby and Jordi Belair, a science fiction series about the dark future we've built for ourselves. Um, from Under Mountains by Marion Churchland, Claire Gibson, and Sloane Leong, a magical fantasy in which r- rival houses struggle for power in the isolated country of Akara, beginning in 2015. Drifter by Ivan Brandon and Nick Klein, a space transport crashes on a lawless frontier world. And Descender by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn, a robot boy struggles to stay alive as the universe hunts him down. That comes in March 2015. Sounds like a Jeff Lemire book. It does. So what, what's on the, on the edge of despair and hopelessness, right, yeah. Stephanie? Poor robot boy. <laughs> Um, on the cliff and there's a banana peel yeah. um, and the last one Steve which Steve wanted to talk about and we'll I'll get opinions on all of it after Steve talks about this one book um, Southern Cross by Becky Cloonan and Andy Bellinger Bellinger uh, Bellinger I'm sorry Bellinger <laughs> um, Steve why don't you tell us what it's about 
Now boarding, Southern Cross. Tanker <laughs> flight 73 to Titan. Alex Braith is on board, retracting her sister's, retracing her sister's steps to the refinery moon, hoping to collect her remains and find some answers. The questions keep coming, though. How did her sister die? Where did her cabin mate disappear to? Who is that creep across the hall? And why does she always feel like she's being watched? Bum, bum, bum. Honestly, it sounds like moon in comic book form to some degree. Uh, it could be very cool. Becky Cloonan, I believe, is writing as well as art. Her name is first oh, on the book. your story. I know. And th- <laughs> honestly, what I sent you in this email is all the information that I could find. Um, she obviously has She's done the cover art uh, for the image that they put out. And yeah, I mean, she gets top billing on the book. I'm assuming with her breaking into the Gotham books and stuff like that, she's getting, you know, more of a a platform to express herself and come up with some original stories. And uh, judging from this team, I would put money on it that this is her gig. I would believe that you're right. So, uh, yeah, Um, I just think it sounds really interesting. And I I absolutely love her work. I've loved the the little... um, uh, I keep forgetting the name of the t- like the tiny books. Oh, um, Zines. What are the Zines? Yes, um, Wolves and and Demeter and and all of that. And just I really really enjoy her artwork. She's a very sweet person. Um, I happened to um, have the pleasure of meeting her last year at Comic Con, and just super excited for a really great person in comics uh, breaking out and making a name for herself. And uh, and Andy Belanger, very cool. Um, yeah, just a, a you know really cool team up for what sounds like an intriguing scenario and, and a cool book. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of her doing something, you know, space base related. Mm-hmm. Um, you could go into some really, you know, kind of play with people's sanity, being out in space, and you know, loneliness, and, and who knows what this book could be. Um, lots of really intriguing stuff in that lineup, but definitely. Uh, Southern Cross sounds like it could be one of the standouts. It is for me, too. I think psychological space horror, mm. so to speak, uh, you turned me on to Moon, oh, which yeah. is a movie I just absolutely love, too. So, yeah, so good. Yeah, If it's in that ballpark, just the aloneness of space is just so vast. Boy, can you play with that. The way her art is will definitely... You, you'll. It'll, the weight will be on these people's shoulders. So I'm looking forward to that. Injection sounds interesting just because Warren Ellis is nuts. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so I, I want to see what his version of a destroyed Earth is like. There are a lot of them like that, it seems yes. like. Yeah, it is. It's Barbarians, Games of Thrones, or Space. Yeah. Or all of them mashed together. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it could be interesting, but since he's the nuttiest of that bunch, mm-hmm. I'm, going, I'm going Warren Ellis, I yeah. think. They drew out of the indie comics, like, you know, grab bag. Like, oh, we got Space and we got Game of Thrones. <laughs> Did you, ever, did you ever see that book? They did a flip book years ago. It's How to Make a Movie. No. It was like 150 pages, each cut into three pieces hmm. with various, you know, people, places, things. Mm. And you just sort of flip through it wherever you got to. That's the movie you made. Hmm. In a world where blah, 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 <laughs> blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. It's like the South Park episode that made fun of Family Guy, where there was just uh, uh, manatees picking wor- random words and putting them in a tag. <laughs> Um, Stephanie, uh, what did you think of the announcements by, by Image, and was there anyone that stuck out to you? Yes, um, there's a couple actually. I, I thought that they're all good. I mean, Image is, you know, my hmm. top publisher right now. Mm-hmm. They are the people that are setting the president for everyone else. Um, the book that stands out 
stood out to me the most though at Tokyo Ghost. Yes. Oh my God, Rick Remender, Sean Murphy, hell yeah! <laughs> I I I'm looking at the uh, preview right now and I'm just drooling. This looks like Akira meets The Wake in terms of like <laughs> art. Whoa! And... Yeah. Whoa! <gasps> I like that. Yeah, you guys. Look, it's it, so cool. Uh, I got some confirmation. I'm sorry to interrupt stuff, but yes, Becky Coonan writing. Okay, cool. And uh, Andy Belanger is on art. Uh, and it says, Bob, it's inspired by classic mysteries and weird fiction. <laughs> There you go. Um, yeah, Tokyo Ghost is the is the one of the service I'm most excited about too, Stephanie. That that one stood out to me immediately. Um, oh my god! Yeah. So so cool. Yeah, they did a good job. You know, it's funny because last year they set the bar so high with their announcements. It was like, you know, the it, the announcement, the things they announced last year. It was just it was just like boom, 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 and it was like every huge creator you've mm-hmm. ever heard of was doing an image book and they renounced them all at the same time. And so of course it's, it can't happen two years in a row because now those people are working on those books and they haven't even, most of them haven't even come out yet. So <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, it's tough to do that two years in a row. Um, uh, but what they did announce, I think it, it was a very interesting slate. It was like Bob was saying, it, it's a very, it, it's very unique stuff. The, and I think that, Obviously, also Descender, the Jeff Lemire book is obviously one that I'm, I'm gonna, I'm going to gravitate towards. I like the idea of this idea of a, an android bo- boy in a world where androids have been outlawed. You know, I, I think that has a, hmm. a, a potential for a lot of uh, good emotion. And um, Justin Wynn is an awesome artist. So, and, and I'm, I'm used to his stuff more uh, in, in kind of the the horror, kind of very intense, or even in the Batman, those two places hmm. I really know his, his art from. So to see it in this kind of sci-fi setting, I'm going to be very, very interested to see um, what that looks like. It's a great mix of genres, even though I, mean, I was just joking before, yeah. but that they're mining science fiction, horror, fantasy. So all the things that people who are reading real books mm-hmm. read lots and lots of, and they've staked out this territory, and it's theirs. Boy, they, it, they yeah. just can't be beaten. No, they can't. Absolutely not. And, you know, obviously, and it's funny because every year they're just the ones that announce the most stuff. You know, they're the ones that come out of it because, and I, I think that I, I have a few... We, to revisit one of our most heated episodes, um, <laughs> uh, a few of the, the pull quotes from Eric Stevenson's speech um, for, from this year's Image Expo. Um, I'm gonna, and I'm just there's a couple. I'm not gonna read the whole speech, obviously, but oh uh, come on, let's do it again. Yeah, let's do it all again. Um, there, uh, he says a couple of things. Hope is important in comics, and it's important to the future of comics. I know that because every time I see or hear a new idea, every time I approve a new series for, for publication at Image, I hope that it's going to make a difference in a marketplace that is overrun by literally hundreds of comics designed to do exactly the same thing comics have been doing for decades. Um, he says, no matter what anyone else says or how offended anyone gets, I will not back down from my position that comic books are more than mere marketing materials for movies, toys, and video games. Does that mean there aren't good comics based on movies, toys, and video games? Of course not. The writers and artists who make this industry as wonderful as it is are too talented for me to stand here and suggest they aren't capable of putting out the absolute best licensed comics possible. But no matter how, but no matter how good those comics may be, no matter how great they may be, that's not the future. And the mistake my colleagues continue to make that they fail to understand is that creator-owned does, does matter to the men and women writing and drawing comics because they want a better future. The difference between creator-driven and creator-owned is that one of these one of those terms is double-speak for an industry standard that should have been 
up for review a long time ago, whereas the other describes something that is real and worth fighting for. From Jerry Siegel and Jill Schuster to Jack Kirby to Alan Moore, from Brandon Graham to Brian K. Vaughn to Kelly Sue DeConnick, comic book creators actually do know the difference between getting a good deal and getting the shit end of the stick. Um, and there were a couple of listeners also who, who wanted to talk about uh, the Stevenson um, speech. Uh, for me personally, um, it, it is... For me, it's the speech I wish that he had made that first time around. Here, here. Um, which is something that we talked about last time, is that I, I feel like um, he better explained himself and did so in a more interesting and motivational way to me, you know, where it's about there is really good stuff out there, but we need to be better. And that's something that I think is 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 a, is a great message. And I think one for me, for me personally, got lost the last time around because of his choice of words. And here I feel like his choice of words were n- nearly perfect. Um, and I completely agree with him. You know, I mean, the, the play, we've, we've, we've been talking about the, this, the Jack Kirby case a little bit and how, and how we're seeing how it's going to resolve itself. But, you know, and we've talked about creator rights and, and, and stuff before. And I think that it's, it's a, it's a giant issue and, and something that needs to be resolved. And I, and I think that, uh, Image does a wonderful job of giving people the rights over the things that they create, uh, and uh, I, you know, you have to applaud them for that. Yeah. You know, um, Stephanie, what, what did you think of Stevenson's speech? I agree. I mean, I, as you guys might remember, I wasn't nearly as offended by his speech as you guys were, mm-hmm. and I thought he touched on a lot of things that, you know were problems mm. and are problems in the industry. Um, but you're right. He did go about this, uh, this time better. And yeah, uh, as a sidebar too, there's a documentary going around somewhere, the image comics documentary. Mm-hmm. And I think they filmed it fairly recently. Um, and I watched it the other day and thought it was really great. I can't remember <laughs> what it's called. I'm trying to find it now, but you guys should look out for it. Cause it's, pretty cool if you are into image comics as i clearly am yeah, it's short it's only like i think under 10 minutes oh it's like a short yeah oh there was a full length one going around um as well um i don't know when it's gonna get released but they're they're doing a they're doing a full length one that goes over right. like the whole history of the of the the, the, the maybe this was like a preview or something yeah. it might have been that. yeah yeah because they, they they're doing one that it goes from like the very beginning to now i think okay then maybe it was a preview because mm. this was kind of cool but uh yeah Nice. Um, Bob, I mean... What- well, sure, well, we, we agreed with most of mm-hmm. what Mr. Stevenson said last year. It was just the way he put it turned into it's us against them. As opposed to we're all sort of in this boat together. We need to row. Some of us are rowing differently than others, which is the sort of tone he has now. We, mm-hmm. we do mm-hmm. what we do, you do what you do, and we're just going to knock the crap out of it and just go for it. No, perfect speech. Absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. Steve, what do you think? I think there's room for everybody. <laughs> and I actually don't think that I was here for that no. episode. No, you were not. I was not. The knockdown drag out. Yes. <laughs> yes. I remember I remember listening to it and going, ooh, <laughs> gonna get some hate tweets. Um yeah, I mean I you know, last last time with that speech, again, you know, there were portions of it that I was, you know, pumping my fist and being like, Yeah, then there were parts for those like what? Um no, I think this this is a, a much better angle and and just put much more eloquently and is much more inclusive to to the whole grand idea of comics and creators in general. And I think it's very respectful. Yeah. Um. And just a kind of uh you know makes you excited 
mm-hmm. for for the stuff to come, and that's the whole point, yeah, right? That's absolutely. the whole idea to get out in front of people. But he's touting his own horn, and that's not a problem. No, no yeah. it's not a problem when yep. you're when you're putting out books that people love, and you're you know you're at the same time honoring the creators and sticking up for the idea of creator owned stuff, and be like, you know, the people creating these books, this is these are passions of theirs. These are the stories that they've wanted to tell. You know, they might do some other characters because they need to pay the bills and they love them too. But this is, you know, where not to say the real stuff is at, but passion projects Mm. and passion projects. You're always going to get just a little bit more of a piece of that creator, something a little bit more personal, something a little bit closer to them and their, you know, who they are creatively. And yeah, no, I think it, I think it's really good. I, I think it's a great uh, great way to spin the the new lineup coming out of Image, which again this year is super super exciting. Yeah, I mean, and some of the books they announced last year that haven't come out yet are the like the Scott Snyder book. I can't even wait for the Witch's book. Oh yeah, the, the him and Jock. I'm so excited about that. Is um, that who's doing the art on that? Yeah, really? Yeah. Whoa, that did not <laughs> that did not look like Jock art to me when I saw the preview for it at all. Oh yeah, no, it's Jock. Man. When is that one? Getting, getting old. I think this fall, I think, um, which I'm super excited about. Um, all right. So next for, up for me um, was Marvel announced a trio of new Star Wars books. The start of a whole new Star Wars line, um, which is pretty pretty exciting, I think, with some pretty um, heavyweight creators uh, behind the tells, which I think is even the, the more exciting part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I've got to get up the thing. I know that Jason... Oh, sorry. <coughs> oh my goodness nice i lost it there <laughs> it's all right so um the flagship title is called just called star wars uh written by jason aaron um and drawn by john cassidy um launches in january 2015 is set immediately after the battle of yavin from the original star wars um following then then there's star wars darth vader we were written by kieran gillen and drawn by salvador laraca um, and it will focus on the ongoing battle to restore order to the universe and i believe that's between episodes Three and f- oh, no, I know no, um, episodes four and five. I think is one that takes place. Hmm. I mean, Star Wars and Empire. Yeah, Star Wars okay, and Empire. Yeah, 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 don't yeah, give me these numbers. Yeah. Uh, numbers. Uh, new Hope and Empire. Strikes <laughs> That's back. not New Hope. It's Star Wars. Um, he added that later. Don't get me going on one of these. <laughs> those are both ongoings. Um, and then there's a mini series, which is Star Wars Princess Leia, written by Mark Wade and yeah, drawn yeah. by Terry Dotson. Yes, yeah, that'll be amazing. That's um, the one. Um, so. I'm incredibly excited about all three of these. You know, I, I think you take uh, Marvel obviously has Disney license now, and they were not going to not publish new books. They announced that omnibus they're putting out of the old stuff, and now they're coming back with new stuff. And what you do is you pull out three of your best writers, and you give them this line, and you can shape the direction of it. Because if it starts out being great, the most likely part is that it will continue to be good because it has a legacy mm-hmm. and it has expectations. Uh, Jason Aaron is is amazing, and I think he's perfect for this kind of story. These big, huge operatic tales, I think are perfect for his style of writing. Um, and, and John Cassidy, obviously John Cassidy, he's a legend, legendary comic book artist, amazing and guy. We'll just have to see if the books can come out on time, and, and, right. which they definitely will not. If he is the, is, if he's well, the monthly maybe artist, they'll have a long leg. Mm, no, I don't think no, so. No, okay. No lead time for him. Uh, I doubt it. Uh, Kieran Gillen and, and obviously, and several rock on Darth Vader is honestly probably the story I'm least interested in reading because I, you know, I, I know, I know all the Darth Vader. I know what he does. I know who he is. You do not know me and, this way. Uh, and uh, no, uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Where's Padme? Um, uh, 
I, I you know I, I just think that and I think we you know we've talked about this uh, Stephanie's mentioned it several times is that I'm not particularly interested in seeing like even when Darth Vader is bad he wasn't so bad because that's what it's going to be it's got to be that what you're else afraid of some Hayden Christensen action I'm not afraid of any Hayden Christensen I'm just I just don't need to see Darth when Darth Vader is bad he's just bad like and that's he's what not I'm, a bad guy he's just a <laughs> bad guy <laughs> he used to hurt puppies it, it's what makes it's what makes him so imposing in that series is that he's just the center of evil and then you know and and then the redemption comes and you're like wow that, that's what makes it great for him to those moments to be in there before that it does i mean whatever it doesn't matter it's not part of that movie series but as me personally it's not a story i'm looking um yeah, didn't get his second bowl of cereal so it turned evil yeah <laughs> um and and princess leia one i mean it's mark way terry dotson i love that it's a mini series hmm. I, I think that's gonna be great i i, I mean i think that it'll be perfect i mean uh, of these books, Bob, which one are you more excited about? Mark Wade. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, First it, mini. That that strikes me right away. Yeah. Let, me, let me read a little bit of this. Not yeah. Gonna, not make a long-term commitment, but Mark Wade on Princess Leia? Mm-hmm. There. <laughs> Steve, what about you? Uh, I, you know, it's funny. I'm not the biggest Star Wars guy, but when these three books were announced, I was, I couldn't help but be like giddy. Mm -hmm. Just the lineup of of creators being on these books, it makes me want to read Star Wars, regardless of mm-hmm. how I feel about the universe, the Princess Leia book is definitely at the top of my list. Mark Wade, uh, Mark Wade, and Terry Dodson, and again, Bob said it: the idea of it being a mini, something that I don't have to commit to for too long. I don't, you know, I don't have to stay in there the whole time. Is really cool, and I just like I I always want more from that character. She definitely, when I watch the films, is one of my favorites. And but I mean, Kieran Gillen. And Jason Aaron doing space, being given that universe and those characters to play with. I mean, I could maybe not be interested by the Darth Vader book, as you said, and then I pick it up and I read an issue or two and I'm like, well, you know, you went and did something that has me really intrigued. And now I feel like for a person, me, who doesn't really know anything about Darth Vader outside of what I've seen in the films... And then for all these people that have been reading the novels and the fan fictions and all this stuff, and they've done so many things with him, I don't know any of that, Mm -hmm. you know? So whatever territory he decides to venture into will be new for me, that if I find it interesting enough, I'll stick with it. Um, I'm not entirely excited about adding three books to my pull list that are Star Wars, but if they're written well enough and they're fun enough, then yeah. Yeah, I'll check it out. I mean, I'm, I'm psyched about the Jason Aaron ongoing. I think that taking place after the events of the movies and kind of yeah. dealing with that stuff, I think, will be cool. Um, Stephanie, are you excited about any of this stuff? A little bit. I mean, I'm a Star Wars fan, but, you know, not as diehard as some people. Um, I gave the Brian Wood stuff a try. I still have to read it all. Like, I I keep meaning to come back to it. But, um, I don't know, the written world of Star Wars doesn't intrigue me as much as, like, the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I mean, if I had to choose one, I would say the same as Stephen Bob and uh, pick the Leia series. Awesome. Awesome. Um, did anybody have any other comic book stuff they were going to talk about before? I did. You did? Okay. Yeah. Let me bring it up. There's going to be... Okay. Uh, John Lehman and Javier oh, nice. Garan are taking over Cyclops. Mm-hmm. Um, but to clarify, here's a comment from Nick Lowe. Really sad that Greg had to step off, but he gives us a reason. But his novel schedule was getting really intense. We'll see him back in the X world very soon, or really soon mm-hmm. is the quote. But um, yeah, it's a little disappointing. Um, it's a, it's even more disappointing that the book doesn't come out on time. Um, but at least maybe now we have uh, an explanation for that, mm-hmm. that he's just, 
he's a busy dude. You know, it's Greg Rucka, and he's got all kinds of magic happening behind the scenes, probably. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I like the first two issues of Cyclops. I'm disappointed in that I've kind of lost touch with it since it's it's been, you know, at least two months, maybe a little bit more since we yeah. saw that last mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. And um, I know he's on for at least one more. We're getting one today. And uh, I don't know. I'm still interested in the idea of the story, but I'm worried about it shifting in tone and the initial reason of why I did like it so much was because it felt like a really good Rucka story about to take off to have it be handed over to someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say that I'm walking away from it. I'm just, I'm concerned for it in in a in a in a world where <laughs> you know there's just so many damn books on the pull list here's another situation where i need to step back and and kind of taste it and evaluate it and if it doesn't sit right on the tongue you got to throw it in the trash can <laughs> so yeah i mean uh, bob you want to oh, yeah, well, spe- speaking of uh, nick Lowe, he says it's completely false that marvel's canceling x-men or fantastic 4 over yeah, some yeah. sort of spite move mm-hmm. But uh, this Mark Wade news, he's writing an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Ooh. That's, that's really cool. With Carlos Pacheco, Alan Davis, Chris mm-hmm. Sprouse on art. Nice. With the movie characters, the superheroes tied in. Mm-hmm. And he said they've told him the entire Marvel Universe is in play. So they're going to be Coulson and his crew and superheroes, including a team up of Rocket Raccoon and Howard the Duck. Oh, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sold. They, yeah, I mean, said anyway, now, whether it comes about. I forget all the other news that I read out that I was excited for. That's it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It does sound awesome, though. Yeah, this sounds awesome. The the uh, the Cyclops thing is like you said. We talked about this last night. We were texting about it, but uh, I, like, they announced it, and I was for, my first thought was, oh, I didn't even realize the series was even still going on. Yeah, because it had been a couple of months since the second issue had come out. Um, you know. I, I I don't know if I'm going to be interested in reading the series if it's not Greg Rucka mm-hmm. writing it. Not mm-hmm. that the people taking over are great, but it's just the reason I was reading it because it was Greg Rucka. Well, that's the reason I was reading it too. Yeah, so uh, you know when they said he'll see him again in the Action Universe soon. I mean, I would love that. I, I want to see you know Rucka writing something. I want to see him. I want something every month from him. Um, you know, we get Lazarus, but I want I want more. I'm, uh, I'm greedy about it. Yeah, uh, and and so. I disappointed, but um, at least if the series stays good and then it'll come out, at least people who are enjoying it, just the fact that Cyclops will get something every month. Well, perhaps if, you know, word of mouth is that it stayed, you know, well, or you, you hear from Rob, for example, be like, you know, no, it's still good. Mm-hmm. Maybe pick it up and trade down the line or, you know, just, I don't know, borrow it or something. Right. Yeah. You know, check it out. And, and if it still holds water, then, you know, it, like I said, it's a shame that it went from being a book that when it's called out at the shop, you know, Cyclops number four, mm. like, yep, yeah. you know, just raising your hand, putting, pointing the finger in the air, be like, right here, to like, yeah, let me see, yeah. picking it up, thumbing through it and being like, I'll put it in the maybe pile. Like, mm. it was not a maybe pile book before this announcement. Yeah. It's a shame. Um, a very big shame. Um, but it's tough with the writers like that because Rucka is one of those writers, I mean, at least especially for mm-hmm. us, who it's like, if, if his name's on a book, I want to read it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter what it is. So we'll have to see what goes on from there. Um, the, the, the other thing about me was it's a book that well, got announced like eight years ago, but <laughs> we finally got like really submitted details on the multiversity, um, Grant Morrison's eight issue um, miniseries. Uh, and 
I didn't even realize the first issue comes out next month. I just always I just never thought it was ever going to come out. So, but the first issue comes out next month. Um, so it's six different worlds, um, each with their own stories. Two like uh, wraparound stories um, that link them all, and then one guidebook. That's going that's a guide to the, the universe. The map is already out. The map they released <laughs> the map of the universes, which is amazing. Wow. So what I didn't know about the story, which made me even more excited, other other than the fact that obviously for me it's Grant Morrison, so I'm super excited, um, is that this is continuity this is going to establish the multiverse for the new 52 uh-huh. um and morrison has said that you know you don't have to worry if you if you haven't read the, pre- the previous books that do take place in the worlds that have appeared before because they're being reimagined and it's going to be you know it's going to be your it's going to be an entry level into each into each world um each issue is 40 pages long um and, and he said we'll not only introduce an entire world but also have the potential to set up entire series based in those worlds if some other someone else wants to take up the mantle Sweet. and write them it's going to establish these worlds entirely that's cool yeah um different artists uh, um on each of the different worlds um so the first one is just called the multiversity um it's ivan rice and joe prado um and it's uh it, it features kind of a, the justice league of earth 23 um it's calvin ellis who's the president of the united states and superman um, he, he described it as a big team book featuring characters from all over the multiverse. Um, they look after the welfare of the entire multiverse and they're headquartered in a place called the multiversity. Uh, he compared them to the justice league. The team will include characters such as captain carrot, uh, thunderer and aboriginal, uh, a version of Marvel comics, Thor it's coming out in August. Um, hmm. then there's the society of superheroes, conquerors of the counter world. Um, this is Chris Sprouse and Carl story. Um, it features the heroes of earth 20 and their counterparts from earth 40. Um, it's a pulp-style Justice of Society of America, led by Doc Fate, who had previously appeared in Superman Beyond. Um, he, Morrison describes him as kind of a Doc Savage come Dr. Fate guy, who teams with Mighty Adam, the Immortal Man, Lady Blackhawk, and her Blackhawks, and Abin Sir, the Green Lantern. It's kind of a 1940s retro thing. Um, so, And there's the Just, which is Ben Oliver. The Just features a world of legacy characters and children of superheroes from Earth-16, such as Connor Hawk and the Super Sons. Um, the, 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 this is his quote is this is those guys but they're not the main heroes there's a whole younger generation of heroes kind of media brats almost um, children of superheroes a son of Superman a son of Batman etc who exist in a world where they have incredible abilities but the previous generation had ushered in utopia so they don't really have any notion where to direct it so that's very much kind of like uh, what you're seeing in Jupiter's legacy right um, which we don't know what which will never that. ever come out again <laughs> um, Pax Americana which is the fourth shot one shot which is illustrated by Frank Quitely um, Earth 4 and it features characters from Charlton Comics um, Morrison described it as if Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons had pitched the Watchmen now um, rooted in the p- contemporary political landscape um, it's going to focus on international terrorism like I said it's Frank Quitely um, there's a Thunderworld which is in- it's illustrated by Cameron Stewart um, which is obviously all the Captain Marvel characters and he describes it as the all-star Superman for Captain Marvel um, the Master Men which is Earth 10 um, and features characters from quality comics as part of the freedom fighters and Nazi versions of various heroes. Um, and ultra comics, the seventh one shot ultra comics takes place on earth prime, which is the fictional version of our actual world. Um, features ultra, the first superhero of earth prime. Um, so, and the thing too is he said that he was enamored with the flash of two worlds and how the new flash, the Barry Allen flash read comic books that had Jay Garrick, Jay Garrick in them. So in each one of these books, you know, it's going to be almost like if you picked up a comic book in one of these other worlds of of that world. Okay. Um, all tied together, describing the multiverse. 
it has me super excited um because it, it's it's something it seems cr- crazy on the level that dc hasn't been doing since the relaunch and that's yeah. even more than i think the creative team behind it that's the reason why i'm excited because it feels like a return mm. to something that is badly missing from from their universe yeah, I had drifted away from being excited about this project because, after all, it was pitched, I don't know, 57 years ago? Right, yes. <laughs> or at least it seems that yeah. way. And I didn't think because of the new 52 reboot it would ever see the light of day, even though it is Grant Morrison. Mm-hmm. It just didn't seem like it found a way to fit. And yet it fits even better now mm-hmm. in some ways. Now, the map features six worlds that aren't going to be named right away. Right, yeah. He's saving those as wild cards, I guess. <laughs> But I saw an interesting quote from him today where I'm not sure which of the sort of Justice League books it is. Mm-hmm. Is He's describing it as the flip side of what Hickman's doing with Avengers because in his book, they're on the other side of what's going on in Hickman's in essence. Because oh, wow. <laughs> Hickman's using a, a fake Justice League, so to speak, oh. or a replacement Justice League stopping worlds from colliding uh-huh. against our, our Avengers against them. So well, they're, they're, they're the look, incursion worlds. <laughs> right. Without... They're not doing it on purpose, but it's just, it just seems to happen, and why not? could be fun. You yeah. could read it any way you'd like, <laughs> and that's how you should read this one, basically. I think it sounds ridiculously cool. Yeah. Like, it sounds confusing as all oh, get be. out, but I am... There's a map. I, it's a map. That, Bob, you've never driven with me into Manhattan. <laughs> oh, but no, it, it works. It, it, it's, it's got, you know, sort of where you could look at the, there's a, the magnetic poles go up and down and they connect sort of heavens and hells and apocalypse yeah. and yeah. new Genesis. I'm sure that'll help. I just, I think it, as confusing as it sounds over, like just from the descriptions, mm. it's definitely something that I want to read. Here, here's the thing. I don't believe you really need, uh, they spend a lot of money on these posters and mm-hmm. the books and whatever. Throw the maps out. Mm-hmm. Read the book. Yeah. Have a blast. Yeah. Read the next one. Yeah. He said, Greg Morris in the interview, he said, this is, he said, this is actually the, the real new 52. It's 52 universes. You know, so he's like redefining it all, but it's gonna be cool. Um, we'll see what happens. You know, um, e- even as my favorite writer, Grant Morrison for me is someone that the reason he's my favorite writer is because I love the stuff I love so much. There are definitely things he writes that I don't really like, so I'm I'm I mm. still have that like I'm on like the tightrope. But this seems like the perfect thing mm-hmm. for him to do. So we will see um, what happens with that. Stephanie, your number two story is our first movie story. That's true. Wait, which one are we talking about? Well, it's well on your email you sent me. It's your number two. It's about uh, a uh, a costume reveal. Oh yes, I don't know because I rearranged things. Oh uh, okay. Um. So my thing was I wanted to bring up Wonder Woman, the mm-hmm. costume reveal, and talk about that. Um. And I think my reason was because obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, yeah. Obviously. Um. So. As you guys may know from my severe Goyer hate, um, I am not in any way, shape, or form excited for this movie, like, at all. It sounds like the adventures of the bottle of my soap. Um, what? I don't even know what that means. Yeah, I don't know. Talk about the Wonder Woman character. Dawn soap. Oh, dish gotcha. Soap. Yeah. Gotcha. Dawn of adventures Justice. Adventures of oh, my dish wow. soap. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... You know what? Honestly, I got to watch the teaser footage. I don't know if it got taken down, um, but mm-hmm. I saw it too. That Sorry. left me kind of cold as well. The only thing that actually even got me remotely excited was the Wonder Woman reveal, which was actually not as bad as I thought it would be. Um, aside from the fact that, like everything Zack Snyder touches in the DC universe, it's completely devoid of any color and joy. <laughs> um, 
it's like the Jeff Lemire of the DC movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, but at least Jeff Lemire is good to what he does. All right, let's let's Anyways, just talk about the costume. The costume itself, I liked it actually for the most part. I am shocked to say that I liked it, but I did. I hate the fact that she has heels because as somebody who is tall, I can vouch for the fact that I never want to wear heels ever, ever. Let alone fight in them. Yeah, right. <laughs> bite me everyone my only problem is like it feels like a costume designed for women by men um but that you know aside the the costume itself you know the look is cool it's not practical at all but you know whatever i guess well, I mean, Wonder Woman's costume in general is not practical. Yeah, so but you've you got know, you've got to you got to give some give. <laughs> you know, on, yeah, I know. But that. they added a little bit. Like the skirt is obviously torn a bit, um, and it's the Warrior Wonder Woman look to it. But yes. you could have made like, for instance, I wouldn't have a problem with them making her top like had like straps. I wouldn't have a problem with something like that. Um, the heels again are so stupid. But I guess in real, like, it's probably more to make her the same height as Ben Affleck and uh, Henry Cavill, I would think. Yeah, but there's ways to do that without her wearing yeah. heels. Clever camera <laughs> angles take care of yeah. that. I'm, I'm attempting to... No, I know. I know, so I know what you're for saying. Else, but um, no, I know what you're saying. Um, I, I think it is stupid. Like, I mean, obviously, though, you've seen her in heels in comics, so I can't really, you know, blame that solely on the movie itself. But I just wish that we would make this transition to where you know the costume's cool but like make it practical make it something like the batgirl costume i'm 100 percent behind that because that's something someone would wear into battle well i mean i i if you if you make if you, everything making everything practical i think is is a dead end because then why are you making comic book movies just make her somebody else then yeah, but you know the thing is, like you can base things in realism like the rest of it can be um you know, fictional, completely fictional, obviously comics, but there's things that you can base in reality and practicality that help draw you into the realism of the movie that does exist. I know. I, I understand what you're saying, but for me, it's like, I'm watching a comic book movie. I kind of just like, I think the heels thing is, is an absolute, I think that it, it looks, I think it's dumb in comics when they do it. And I think it's dumb in movies when they do it because it doesn't make any sense. But um, at the same time, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, you don't ever see this stuff with, men it's always the women that get portrayed this way almost always men's costumes are practical unless you're going like edna mode style and everyone has capes in which case they're terrible and not practical at all but they, they, um, they almost never wear heels they never yes, ever have the men in heels exactly. what's up with that only prints what's up with that although um, in the scenes of iron man like uh when he's with gwyneth paltrow uh robert uh downey jr is actually wearing like platformed shoes because Gwyneth Paltrow is like way taller than him. Oh, I believe it. I mean, that's yeah. what Tom Cruise has to do in like every movie he's ever in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> see a like there's little a man. bunch of set photos of Robert Downey Jr. in giant shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bob, what did you think of the costume? Here we go. <clears throat> okay, look. <laughs> By the way, if you guys have not read Bob's Wonder Woman piece oh, that he put so on much. the site, do it because it's amazing. Yes. I think it might be the best thing you've, you've ever written for the site. Wow. So people should check it out. Wow. <laughs> uh, I also posted a picture I found on DeviantArt of this costume colorized, <laughs> and it makes a tremendous, yeah. tremendous difference. I mean, mm -hmm. let's say, just to be clear, the picture is definitely 
tempered, right? It's definitely yeah, well, her skin yeah. tone isn't even natural right. skin tone. It looks like it's been desaturated. But I still think it's gonna be, knowing what the movies look. It's gonna be muted. It's gonna be muted, but I don't think it's gonna be as muted as that picture. I was gonna bring that up when yeah. we got when we got around to yeah, this. Yeah, I don't think as muted as that picture. Right. Now the thing of it is, we, we are saying it's not as bad as it could be, yeah. which is not the right way to start. Right, but yeah, it's yeah. it's the truth because mm. we have low expectations mm. go, going in. The line of it is I'm going to sound like a fashion person watch too much what not to wear the lines of it are pretty good you know amazing the the sort of it's the it's the bottom of the tunic that is giving you the hint of a skirt which is mm. how she first appeared back in 1941 wearing a skirt even in the first episode of the TV show which I recently watched for fun yep again she starts out wearing the skirt mm. with the stars and stripes on it it shouldn't be a problem but mm. you know the boots are a disaster mm-hmm. it's really terrible heels are a real problem over her knee means running is not going to be very easy right yeah it's going to chafe and rub and she's going to need powder mm-hmm. right away it's going to be a problem <laughs> or, or shoals pads gold bond medicated cream how about having the real bracelets and not gauntlets that go up to her armpit or whatever they are it'll be okay and isn't her headpiece upside down you're supposed to point upwards, not <laughs> down into the middle of her forehead. So, you know, when you're wearing safety goggles and they hit you in the wrong place and you <laughs> get the thing on your nose, I think she's going to have that. The pinch? Yeah. So, uh, it's not a fail, but it is not a success either. It's a little too much Xena. I, I don't, I don't, I, that comparison I, doesn't, I know, doesn't I, ring to me. I saw a picture today of them standing side by side and yeah. it's Xena. When Xena's like, come on, come on you didn't exactly. even try. That, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, could be much worse. The, it's cut in a respectful way. I agree with Stephanie that if it's a battle armor, straps would be good. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think she looks really, I don't know how airbrushed this picture is, or mm-hmm. who knows what's been done to it to get it to look the way it does. Mm-hmm. She, she doesn't look unlike Wonder Woman. Right. For all the people who were yelling and screaming, she has muscle tone. She's mm-hmm. just not She Hulk. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Yeah. That is really fine. It's a random shot, so I'm not going to comment on what else is going on. We don't know what's happening yeah. here, or how it's going to look in action. The things that are bad are really bad. The things that are good are kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So, passing grade barely. <laughs> See, what did you think of it? <laughs> uh, I thought it was cool. I really did. Um, I saw the photo, and I went, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this makes sense for you know the vibe that they got going on for these movies. And it looks very gladiatorial. Mm-hmm. which I like because when I think of Wonder Woman, I think of the diplomat, but I also think of the warrior. Um, and this was coming off of, I was actually going to tie this in uh, and Bob might be interested to know this. I just played through the injustice gods among us video game mm-hmm. towards the end of that game, the story mode, first of all, even if you don't like Mortal Kombat style gameplay, which I don't um, the story mode in that game is hands down the best fighting game story mode ever it's amazing. in the history of, games mm-hmm. it really is there are moments with wonder woman towards the end of that game that it's some of the best written wonder woman that i've read since we started doing this it's amazing um but coming off of that and then with the reveal i was kind of jazzed because not only was it familiar was i just playing within the atmosphere where she would be wearing something like that i think that bob said it you know the best in that it's not a fail there are some things about it that if you can make tweaks in a perfect world, we would. But it is what it is. And for intensive purposes, it looks like Wonder Woman. It looks like she can kick ass in it. It's respectful 
it's more respectful than I had anticipated it being, yes. which I'm I'm happy to see that that was the result. Because mm-hmm. um, it could have it could have been something where it came out and everybody was just like, "You have got to be kidding me!" Like um, Adrian Palicky costume. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, the latex pants hooker look. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Bought at Spencer Gifts for twenty eight dollars. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I've seen. I know we had a we had a listener uh, chime in on Facebook, and he's absolutely right that all three of the images that have come out of this movie poster wise that we've seen so far are desaturated Photoshop. You know, just taking the color out of these images on purpose because they don't when when you see the trailer and you see the light hit that costume and you'll see you know the hints of red the little bits of of navy blue or blue in the skirt and stuff like that that is a very you know apocalyptic brown dirty ass photo i mean it's our first reveal of her but it's very bleak and I mean, that's my overall problem with the presentation of those posters in general of Superman looking like, you know, I don't know what Batman looking like he just heard his parents died for the first time. <laughs> and then Wonder Woman, you know, standing inside of a Roman Emmerich movie like it just that overall tone doesn't excite me all that much. But it does. There, There's enough interesting things about this movie that are happening and how it's getting made and who's involved in it. That has me much more excited for it um, than, you know, I felt about it a couple of months ago. I've had several people, you know, challenge my opinion and say that, you know, oh, you hated Man of Steel. So, of course, you're going to hate this. That's not necessarily true. You know, I want this movie to do well and I want this movie to come out on top and I want it. I want to like it. I really do. Um, The Wonder Woman stuff is helping. You know, the inclusion of these other actors taking up the roles of Cyborg and Aquaman and getting a um, like a well-rounded team with lots of ethnicities and stuff that that's happening in a DC universe and in the DC films going forward, we're going to have a lot more diversity. I think that's fantastic. Um, but as far as the, the Wonder Woman outfit goes, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm digging it a lot. And I don't care. I don't care about the heels. I think they're impractical as all get out. But uh, for all the things that they did get right with it, I'll let it slide, and I'll assume that Wonder Woman can work around it. I, I you know, I, I, I opened up the image, and the first thing I thought was, "That looks pretty badass." Like that was the yeah. first thing that came to my head when I looked at the image. I think Gal Gadot looks great as the character. I, I don't agree with people saying she still looks too skinny, and I, I think she looks great. I think she looks fierce mm-hmm. in it, and that's what I was looking for most importantly. Um, you know. I think, Bob, you, said, you had a discussion, I believe, on the forums about the costume. Mm-hmm. And you were mentioning, and I think you said something about, you know, movies are at a disadvantage at the point because they're looking at 70 years of history yes, and, trying, hits version, and trying to draw what uh, and everyone has their own idea, right, of what is the thing that has to be there to make the costume the way it has to be. Um, so in ways, they weren't really going to be able to please anybody because we knew it wasn't going to be, you know, people complained when... Stark's Tony Stark's chest plate was a triangle and not a circle. You know, so people are going to complain about everything. You know, when when that stuff happens. What no one complained about was Linda Carter. No, I know, but I'm you know, but uh, what I'm saying is that I'm not saying that I think it's perfect. Yeah, I think the the heels. Everybody else said I think it's dumb. I I want to propose a rule for costume designers. Sure. All right. So any male, female, whoever is designing the costume, if they can wear heels while completing one of the scenes that the actor who's portraying the (laughs) character can do, then they're allowed to put that character in heels. Mm -hmm. If they can do it in heels. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Good good roll. Thank you. Crickets. Uh, I think Listen, it is a good rule. I said it was a good rule. I wasn't I wasn't being We're facetious. We're all agreeing with you, Stephanie. I never know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I'll say, too, is, again, it's a poster shot. It's a publicity shot. It's out of context. Um, I will assume that that is exactly the costume she's going to wear in the movie, but that does, that's not definite either. There could be things that change. I, they probably even shot a single scene with her yet. So I would say that there there is a big chance that things could change from here to I there. I think they have shot scenes with her. They have set photos of her. I don't. I mean, I, I they have set photos of her. Yeah, they, they had her getting like, out of like. They had a couple things where she was like getting out of a car and stuff. Diana oh, okay. Prince yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh, Diana Prince stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, so who knows? But uh, you know, um, I don't know if they shot one room and stuff with her yet in her costume. Whatever it's going to be, if she's even going to be in her costume in the movie. You know what we're gonna see what happens. Yeah, but, I've heard everything from they're done shooting her stuff yeah. to she hasn't shot a single Wonder Woman yeah. thing at all. Right. So who knows? I mean, it's all shot in secrecy. We we don't know what's going on. That could be the last scene of the movie. Is um, that shot that we just. Saw. I think the battle armor is is cool. I think that um, again, there's slight tweaks again, like you're saying. Um, unless she's gonna be flying most of the time, the the boots over the knees are are, are a little bit of an issue. Um, you know, I, and I I don't have really have a problem. Like the colors are drab. They're gonna be brighter in the movie. How bright? Who knows? You know, the Superman blue in the Man of Steel is not super blue. So who knows? Like what's me? It's mm-hmm. but it's it's definitely a color though. It definitely has a richness to it. So I hope that that happens here. Um, you know, I, I think some people were like, well, I'm, uh, the thing, both biggest thing I was worried about was that it was going to be too practical, that it was going to be like, you know, black armor that covered up her entire body or like, yeah. you know, a, a, a jumpsuit or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause for all of man of steel's faults, for me n- being oversexing its female characters was not one of them. Oh yeah, you know. So I wasn't worried about like you know ridiculously revealing or you know or, or or really offensive. I wasn't worried about stuff like that. I was more worried about like oh we think one woman's lame, so here's how we're making her cool. You know that's the stuff that I was worried <laughs> about. Um, and they uh, there's obviously some tweaks here, but I feel like they I feel like if I showed that picture to my mother, she would go oh that's Wonder Woman. And so that is like for for now that's enough for me they're they're at least doing it you know mm-hmm. we'll see how the movie is i i have no idea how that movie is going to be the little bit i saw like the you know phone footage of the comic-con screen yeah um and it looks very dark knight returns oh the teaser yeah i thought i actually thought the teaser was kind of cool it, i think it is cool but i mean who knows what that means who knows if it's, if it's even in the movie you know like it's all that i don't think stuff. so so who knows but um they probably think they probably just they threw that together because i mean it wasn't much. It was 15 seconds. Yeah. It was if 15, that, yeah. Or something like that. So, um, so yeah. And for the rest of like the, the TV, the movie panels, I mean, we got a lot of information about age of Ultron. They showed a trailer. I didn't get to see that. That didn't, I don't I heard it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They leaked the audio, <laughs> not the video. Yeah. Online. Thanks for that. Um, sounds cool. Uh, I mean, uh, we, we got Paul Bettany confirmed the vision. He's on that poster. He, Floating in midair. Yeah. It looks like the vision. Very cool. Um, we got some talk about Ant-Man finally. They brought him out. Ant- um, Paul Rudd, Michael Douglas. I don't remember the actor's name was playing um, Yellow Jacket. So they, they've kind of reworked that. Because people don't know in the comics, Yellow Jacket is Hank Pym. It's after he goes nuts. He goes nuts and beats his wife and all that stuff. So it seems like they're, they're taking Whoa. that stuff out. Yeah, which is which is good. I mean, that's it's a it's a weird time in, in Pym's history. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and so that's gone. And uh, Evangeline Lilly is playing... Uh, Hank Pym's daughter, Hope Van Dyne. Yes. Um, so uh, that's all we know. We don't know anything else about the movie. It's about 
but it's about Michael Douglas having Scott Lang steal the Ant-Man costume back from someone who's taken it from him. Which works in Scott Lang's story in a different way, yeah. which I, I find interesting, that she's Hope Van Dyne means Jan could be around somewhere. I think that she's going to be in like the flashback stuff to when Hank is younger. Yeah. Because hmm. he said they, cause he says that his her deceased his deceased wife. Oh, so I I think that it, it's gonna it's gonna do flashbacks up to that. Okay. Um. Yeah. I think they're gonna base that stuff in the '60s or whatever it is. Um. Like uh, you know Howard Stark contemporary stuff. But there was no really announcement except for they announced Guardians of the Galaxy two. Yeah. Um. Which we know nothing about. We haven't even seen the first one yet. Um. So and ten more unnamed movies with dates. But this Thursday though. Yeah. This Thursday. Yes. Um. And we'll talk a little more about the end of the show. Um. But let's go. We have other stories that aren't necessarily comic book movie related, but a couple of movies that I know some of people here want to talk about. So, Bob, go. Legendary Films announced Godzilla 2. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with Gareth Edwards directing. They don't have a date for it. By the way, the DVD of the first one comes out in early September. Yep. If anyone's been awesome. waiting. Oh, I know. I need to see it still. Oh, my God. Oh. Whoa. All people. No one would go see it with me. We would have. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> we just had to come to New York. <laughs> But we have guest stars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rodan, Mothra, and Ghidra. Oh, God. Now, that's the classic lineup from... Oh, boy. Bob's got props. Ghidra, the three-headed monster from you know, <laughs> 1964. Ghidra, three-headed space monster, appears in a ball of lightning. It's just one of the coolest Japanese monsters ever. And done in a serious vein when they were done in the 80s. He's a scary character. Mm. Absolutely. And so now Rodan and Mothra and this Godzilla together, I'm fine with this. The I, monster rally. I can't wait to see the updated designs and versions of these kaiju. That's going to just blow my mind. I can't wait. All I know is I think originally <sighs> in the guy in the monster, the Ghidra suit, it took about 12 people to get it to work. <laughs> we had three heads, mm-hmm. two legs, and two giant wings. This thing was... <laughs> 30 feet across in, in, you know, the actual studio size. It was just immense and just great news. And the other was they announced for, let's see, November 4th, 2016, Skull Island, mm-hmm. which is a prequel to King Kong. It is part of that story. We don't know. There are no details. There's no director. There's no anything. Just a shot of an island and a roar. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a novel, if I can find it. <laughs> More props. Here we go. More pro- I love props. Uh, created and illustrated by Joe DeVito, written by Brian Strickland and John Mischlig. It was called Kong, King of Skull Island. It is mostly a prose novel with some lovely paintings and some spot illustrations. And <coughs> what that was about was Carl Denham's son. It's now the late 50s. And he works at the Museum of Natural History. They even have Kong skeleton mounted fighting a T-Rex. He goes back to Skull Island. They find some storytellers who tell them about when his father was there and then years before that, sort of Kong's origin story. If they decide to go this way, the, the calling it Skull Island says to me, I think they might be aware of this. This mm-hmm. was a fairly big property when it came out, this graphic novel. I, I want to see this. It does seem awfully soon after Peter Jackson's. Mm-hmm. That was 2005? Yeah. Not in Hollywood terms anymore, though. They put out right. a Spider-Man reboot four years yeah. after the Very true. Movie. I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> I think this could be a lot of fun. Mm. And I'm a big King Kong fan. Telling this story from a different angle, a different way. Yeah. 
All for this, I think. Yeah, I, I read on a very interesting story on IGN where they talked about why they thought the reception was so tepid, and it was because earlier in that panel, they've been they've been talking to Guillermo del Toro about Pacific Rim Two, and then he had mentioned still working on Hellboy Three and, and um, Mountains of Madness. And the High Legendary was like, well, once you finish Pacific Rim, we'll talk about those movies. And people like, got really excited. And at the end, he was like, well, one more thing. He's like, I have this thing to show you. And everyone thought it was like Pacific Rim, or they thought it was, you know, it was like some sort of like, you know, um, or Game of Thrones was directing it or whatever. And then people were very confused about like what it was. Um, when I heard the announcement, I was like, that, it just, it, it struck me as weird. I don't know why, but it did. Um, but it could be cool. It's weird that they announced the movie without any director. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But I think off of announcing a Godzilla movie, mm-hmm. and that now they have both these properties under mm. their control, we are now set up for a 2019 King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> so that that was really good news for me. I thought that was fun stuff. Even as you say, it didn't seem to go over it well. Yeah, it didn't seem to go over great. But. I'm enjoying this resurgence of these characters. <laughs> oh yeah, the monster yeah. stuff? I think yeah. it's great. It's yeah. awesome. More of it, please. Um, and but, Stephanie, why don't you... Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, go, no. Go, no, go. You're good to go. I was All just right. Okay. Uh, and Stephanie, something. why don't you close us out with the, your last story? Yeah. So I was really, really stoked to learn that um, Macy Williams of Game of Thrones fame is being courted for uh, the role of Ellie in the Last of Us movie. Pretty cool. Very, very excited about that. I mean, Ellen Page is the obvious choice, but she's too old for this at this point. So, I mean, Macy Williams is amazing, and I'd be more than happy to see her in this role. So, heck yeah! Awesome. Can I just jump in? Okay. Um, For this week's Talking Games podcast that we'll be recording tomorrow, um, we're going to be talking a lot about the Last of Us movie and even doing a bit of casting. Uh, for the film. So if you guys want to check that out, you can. Cool. Oh, I have like Joel in mind too. <laughs> awesome. You should you should definitely uh, you know, write into us or, or text me and I'll read it out on the show. She could Skype in. I'll um did to you right now. That. All right, do that. <laughs> um one more thing. Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell getting together for an evil dead television show. That's pretty cool. What? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, recast again or based on the movie they just did well Bruce Campbell's gonna star in it he's starring oh. he's starring in it and they're writing it together yeah so wow. hooray yeah, yeah. I kind of like that remake yeah I, I liked it a lot yeah. I thought it was really good it was cool it's just no it's just no humor in it no no very good yeah yeah um, Stephanie who's your Joel I don't want to cut you off oh sure well um, I think I had a couple picks so I needed like like someone like Jeffrey Dean Morgan mm-hmm. um, Viggo Mortensen uh, Dylan McDermott and somebody I was talking to somebody else about this and his choice was Josh Brolin and now I could also see Josh Brolin in the role Josh Brolin would be cool yeah, yeah. I like the idea of Jeffrey Dean Morgan yeah yeah I really I was, like that was like the first thing that came to mind I was like yes him <laughs> lumberjack yes mm-hmm. mm. all right awesome so that is the news that we're most excited about from San Diego comic-con um let's talk about the books that are on the shelves right now yeah oh my god today is huge Avatar Press, we've got uh, Caliban number five, Cross Badlands number 58. Um, we've got George R.R. R. Martin's The House of the Worm number one, God is Dead mm. number 17, um, and Uber number 10. Um, from Boom Studios, we've got Clive Barker's Nightbreed number three. Um, we've got Daymen number four, Dead Letters number four, Evil Empire number three, Regular Show number 13. 
Um, from Dark Horse, we've got Baltimore, The Witch of Harju, number one. Um, Captain Midnight, number 13. Deep Gravity, number one of four. We've got um, Emily and the Strangers, Breaking the Record, number two of three. <clears throat> um, King Conan the Conqueror, number six. Massive, number 25. Mind Management, number 24. Pariah, number six. Um, Star Wars, Rebel Heist, number four. And Veil, vale, number four. Speaking of Greg Rucka, uh, DC Comics, Adventures of Superman, number 15. Well, let me just jump in there. Anyone yeah. who's a fan of the Iron Giant should buy Adventures of Superman, number 15. All right. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got um, Aquaman Annual, number two. Uh, we've got uh, Batman Eternal, number 17. Um, we've got Bodies, number one. We've got... Mm. Um, DC Comics presents Batman Adventures number one, which is a seven ninety nine book. I'm sure it's like a collection of previously published material. Um, Detective Comics Annual number three, um, Harley Quinn number eight. We've got Justice League number thirty two. Um, we've got is that right? No, that can't be right. What? Oh, it is right. I thought thirty two was already out. Um, no, it's the introduction of the Doom Patrol into the new. 52. Oh, gotcha. New fifty two features end number thirteen. Red Lantern's Annual number one. I'll believe it when I see it. Sandman Overture, number three. No. No. Yes. Yes. No. Sinestro, number four. (laughs) No. No covers. Um, Vertigo Quarterly Magenta, number one, and Wake, number 10 of 10. Ooh. Um, Dynamite Entertainment, we've got Deja of Mars, number three. We've got Doc Savage, number eight. Final issue. Um, We've got, let's see, Red Sony, number zero. Um, uh, written by Gale Yeah, one shot. Yeah. Um, Shadow Midnight in Moscow, number one. Shadow over Innsmouth, one shot. Um, mm. And we've got... That's it for um, Dynamite. Um, let's see what else we got here. IDW, we've got Cartoon Network, Super Secret Crisis War, number two. Danger Girl, Mayday, number three. We've got Ghostbusters, number 18. We've got Samurai Jack, number 10. We've got Star Slammers Remastered, number five. Um, we've got Transformers. Robots in Disguise. That is correct. Number 31. Wow. V Wars, number four. Um, the Wraith Welcome to Christmas Land hardcover is also out. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. crap. What? I just, it's just another book I got to buy. <laughs> it's $30, too. Is it? Well, okay. <laughs> no, maybe I don't have to buy that right now. Um, from Image Comics, we've got Black Science, number seven. Cowl, number three. Chew Warrior Chicken Pollo, number one. <laughs> Drumheller, number seven. East of West, number 14. Fatal, number 24. Five Weapons, number 10. Fuse, number six. Low, number one, is out. Um, Manhattan Projects, number 22. Mercenary C, number six. Mice Templar, four. Legend, number 12. Um, Outcast, number two. Prophet, number 45. Sovereign, number five. Ten Grand, number 10. And Witchblade, number 177. Um, that's Witchblade right there. Yeah. There Speaking of which, Stephanie was totally right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 100th anniversary, this is Marvel, 100th anniversary special Guardians of the Galaxy. By the way, one. it is not exactly a continuation of the oh, Fantastic okay. 400th. It does feature a story element, but it is not a continuation. So please, folks, anyone I touted, <laughs> I was following what it said at the end of that issue, which it continued in. Mm. It's only kind of continued it. Okay. It still looks like a fun story, but it is not a direct continuation. My apologies. 
<laughs> All new Ghost Rider number five. Yes. Um, Avengers number thirty three. Avengers World number ten. Cyclops number three. Deadpool, Dracula's Gauntlet, number four, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, number 17, Hawkeye, number 19, um, Iron Man Special, number one, Iron Patriot, number five. Um, let's see. Is that the last one of those? I don't know. It doesn't say it on there, but okay. that doesn't mean. Um, New Avengers, number 21, Original Sin, number 3.3. We've got um, Secret Avengers, number six. Um Ultimate FF number five, Uncanny Avengers number 22, Uncanny X-Men number 24, Wolverine number nine, X-Men number 17. Um, Rick Remender has been saying that Uncanny Avengers number 22 is the culmination of everything he started since Uncanny X-Force number one. I really wish that I had just stuck with it and, and <laughs> continued to, to collect that because I'm totally lost on that at this point. Um, Titan Publishing, we got Sally of the Wasteland, number one, Star Trek Magazine, number 50, and Star Wars Magazine, number two. From Valiant Entertainment, we've got Armor Hunters Harbinger, number one, and Exo Man of War, number 27. And from Zenoscope, we've got Grim Fairy Tales presents Tales of Terror, number one, hmm. um, Realm War, Realm War, Age of Darkness, number one. Um, Warlord of Oz, number three, and Grim Fairy Tales versus Wonderland, number one of four. All right. Oof. That's what's on the shelves right now. If you guys would like to listen to our other family of podcasts, if three hours of talking comics wasn't enough for you. Um, <laughs> fucking we, comics? I said three hours of talking comics wasn't enough for you. I thought you, you said of, of fucking comics. No, 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 no talking like... comics. <laughs> Um, we've got Let's uh, rewind that tape uh, <laughs> I heard what he heard <laughs> um, The Misfits uh, With Stephanie Cook Melissa Megan And Mara Wood yeah. The last episode was about Neil Gaiman um, You can listen to Talking Games Every Thursday um, Yep This Thursday as well At noon At Talking underscore games On yeah, Twitter true um, Or at Was it The underscore Misfits Stephanie Yes Got it right um, Nice also, talking movies. Uh, they just did. Uh, they finished off their R-rated comedies with the Jerk. Um, you can follow them at Movies Talking on these Twitter. Cans are defective. <laughs> he really I hates these cans so much. Um, and obviously, uh, Renegades Talking Valiant with Adam Shaw um, is our Valiant podcast. So check all of those out. Um, yeah. Go to TalkingComicBooks.com uh, for all our news and um, reviews. Uh, we're hiring a bunch of new contributors right now. We've got awesome, awesome applications. Um, Stephanie has been awesomely going through them and picking out the best of the best for us to review. So thank you for your hard work on that, Stephanie. Thank you. I'm really ex- – I mean, there's there hasn't been one bad application. Like, everyone is making this so hard. And we're trying to bring on, like, you know, as many cool ideas like columns and – new content for you guys to, you know, if you're at work and you have internet access, we want to give you stuff that you can, you know, procrastinate with. Yeah. We want to knock down your productivity as low as possible. Um, well, some people can get away with it. I mean, <laughs> we're going to put your candy crush time to shame. Yeah, exactly. Um, we got some, also some great listeners have written in as well and applied and it's some, it, it's really nice to see those people. Um, cause they've been us so much. So it's nice that we might be able to get back to them. Um, yeah, and uh, follow us on Twitter at Talking Comics um, and Facebook.com slash Talking Comics. And my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve? I am at Dead underscore Anchorus. Stephanie? At Hello Cookie. And Bob? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. All right, we've got a, a birthday to talk about. Yes, as we're recording, July 29th, it's Gail Simone's birthday today. 
Happy so, birthday. Happy Yay, birthday to happy Gail. Birthday. Who didn't make anything special new about secret announcements. Secret, she did not. Secret things yet. So no, that, that one's still up in the air. I thought there'd be something, mm. even though she wasn't at San Diego. Yeah. But thought there'd be something. But happy birthday nonetheless. Mm. Absolutely. Anything else you wanted to say? Oh, yes. I should actually say thank you to the good folks at Exterminating Angel Press, particularly Molly Mikulowski, who sent me a copy of the newest Mike Madrid book, Vixens, Vamps, and Vipers, Lost Villainesses, that's hard to say, of Golden Age comics. He'd written Supergirls and Damsels, Divas, and Daredevils, which Mm. I had as a book of the week some while back. And this is another collection of all sorts of crazy... It sounds like a Bob book. Yeah, yeah. definitely. No, uh, I got the email from the PR lady, and they're like, do you have anybody who would like to review this book? Bob. And I was like, send it to Bob. <laughs> Including, wait, the, the, the one that's just so amazing, there's a character on page 78 called <laughs> the Hishi. <laughs> Crime buster meets Hishi. All right. <laughs> from like 1942... Fighting for equality on both ends. The deadly, the, I, I, you should, I'll do this. You want me to do it? Yeah. The deadliest of the species is the female. The strongest of the species is the male. Combine these with the killer instinct, and you have the most cunning, the most vicious, the most fiendish killer of all time. Oh, man. It's a, it's a guy on one side, and he's got long hair on the other, and... Knife in one hand, long cigarette holder in the other. I've never even heard of this. It's the screwiest looking thing I've ever seen. That's this year's Halloween costume. (laughs) That could be interesting. Maybe there'll be some at uh, New York Comic Con. (laughs) Victor Victoria. Yeah, Victor Victoria, exactly. Nice. Um, Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, And also, guys, um, obviously this comes out on Wednesday, um, but if you guys are in the Long Island area... Um, on Thursday night at 8 o'clock, uh, Steve, Bob, and myself are going to see Guardians of the Galaxy at Lowe's in Stony Brook. So if you guys want to join us, you are more than welcome. Um, I don't know if anybody's going to show up, but um, <laughs> we will We will be there regardless. So yep. um, if you guys are going to come, please tweet us at Talking Comics uh, because, you know, we might we, we, we think we may get some pizza or something beforehand. So you guys meet up uh, uh, then. We can know where everybody is and we can get together for it um, and see Guardians of the Galaxy with uh, Talking Comics. Is yeah. there an event on Facebook or anywhere? Can they go? I put it on, I tweeted it out and put it on Facebook, like a link to a, a message a couple times, but I didn't make like an event page for Maybe it. you could even put something on the forum so people yeah. can respond. Yeah, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. throw it on the forums. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought a ticket on Fandango. So yeah, did I. So I bought I. two of them. Ooh. My, uh, Fancy. My friend Brendan's coming with me. I'll be man. Those, those, his Twitter name is going to be the real Steve's friend, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so guys, yeah, hopefully you'll join us for that. If not, uh, next week we will be reviewing Guardians of the Galaxy um, for Talking Comics. So send in your thoughts. Um, if you guys are going to send in spoiler thoughts, make sure you email them. Mm. Podcast TalkingComicBooks.com. Mm. No spoilers on the Facebook or the Twitter. All right, so that's going to do it for Talking Comics for this week for Steve. I never read for the Necronomicon. We're all screwed. Bob. <gasps> oh, we're dead. We're dead. And Stephanie. May. <laughs> I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be... Continued.